Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 305, and we're going to be talking all about 1080 Snowboarding and its sequel, 1080 Avalanche. You can play along with the show and the next five podcasts we have scheduled. Uh, first we have a couple of our continuing series, which will be Final Fantasy 2 and then Resident Evil 2. Following that, it's uh, all the way back to a PS1 fondly remembered cult classic maybe, Tenchu Stealth Assassins, then the more recent Yoshi's Woolly World for the Wii U and the 3DS of course, and then it's one of our much requested shows that we've uh, prevaricated around for five years, we've left a sufficient amount of distance and now we're going to talk about Bioshock Infinite. Head to canorince.com for the full schedule up to the end of the year anyway, as well as various other items, articles and links to our social spaces and whatever else. You can uh, get this show a week earlier than non-subscribers for just $1 a month. That's around $1 a month for something like 12 hours of entertainment, which is currently 70-odd pence, or less than a euro, 80-something euro cents. If you go to patreon.com slash rinse, and the more of you that do that, uh, the better it is for us to commit to the future of the project and for us to be able to devote as much time and effort as we do to making these shows. You could also buy a t-shirt and or a bag at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash rinse uh, with our logos on, quality merch. There's also a PayPal donate button if you don't want to get involved in Patreon but you think we deserve a tip. Uh, head to canerince.com and look for the PayPal button. We have another podcast. You should know by now. You should subscribe by now. It's really rather good. Sound of Play. It's uh, it's video games music based. And uh, if you subscribe to that and this, review and rate podcasts wherever you find them. It's very, very helpful to us and much appreciated. And please do follow us on the social media, Twitter, Instagram and our Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 305, which was previously going to be 304. But here we are now. It's Darren Gargett. Um, hello, Mr. Beeks. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah. Um, Mikhail Croder. <laughs> work your body, work, work your body. Yeah, I got it off before anyone else. Yeah. You, 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 you filled it with all the emotion and feeling that it deserves as well. And Tony Atkins. Stiffy? Oh, he's got uh, no. He's got it. Uh, oh, he's stolen Darren's thunder by the first uh, <laughs> by getting the first stiffy in there. I feel a bit melancholy now. See what I did there. Right, and that's the end. And that's uh, thanks for listening to Kane and Rince. So ten eighty then. Um, we uh, we timed the show because it's uh, almost exactly ten years since the original came out, and it's the Winter Olympics in uh, in Korea as well. So uh, it seemed like a good time. Well, let's start by talking about our histories with the game, as we do. And let's start with Darren, our noted N64 enthusiast. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I knew nothing of this game when it was first around. Um, my mate Will bought it on import, and I remember just walking into his place, you know, what's up? And uh, this this white box sitting on the floor with a snowboard dude on the front. And I was thinking, what's going on? What's he? Well, this isn't GoldenEye. Why, why are we playing this? Like, I don't really understand... Well, and I was all confused and I looked at the TV and it just this this beautiful looking game, like, you know, shining white snow everywhere and just these visuals that I've never really seen before on the N64 were, were glaring, uh, gleaming at me. And um, I was like, mm. oh God, well, this this looks something I've never played before. Other than Snowball Kids a few months beforehand, like this just yeah. looked like, well, like I played Cool Borders, I think, around this time, but this just looked like something else and I couldn't quite, I wasn't quite ready for it. And um, yeah, it, it went from there. I, I had also had my own copy on 
a Japanese import. I think I bought his one or bought someone else's. We all kind of had the same games at the same times and we're all just passing them around, selling them to each other and doing all sorts of weird stuff. So, yeah, um, Japanese import, probably maybe a month after it came out in Japan. Very good. And with Avalanche, we got that first. We'll, we'll discuss Ooh, that later yeah. in Europe. Um, did you get that one or, as it came out? Yeah, um, I think it. I got rid of it as soon as I got it. Um, I was Aww. not... I was not overly keen on Avalanche, but for reasons that, you know, um, maybe the GameCube was a weird, it's a brilliant era, but it also had had its moments of just like, oh, this doesn't really feel right. And uh, I think 1080 Avalanche was one of those games at the time. It's kind of not what I was expecting from Nintendo at that time. And Mm. and I think that falls in line with uh, Wave Race Blue Storm as well. The two games for me run parallel in terms of... But, you know, I've, I've played it through to credits on, uh, you know, for this show, as we do. You know, maybe my opinion's changed. Mm, interesting. Yeah, uh, I know exactly how you feel. And we'll talk about the fact that pretty much nobody who made the first game was involved in the second game. Mm. So that mm-hmm. does make a certain amount of sense. Tony, do you remember your early days with 1080 snowboarding? I do. Whether it's at launch, uh, I have no idea back then. I remember the, I mean, the box art's really iconic, I think, even though it's just a, you know, a snowboard man. But it was one of those ones I had previous experience of Cool Borders and I really like that series. I hadn't played Snowball Kids but I certainly was up for a Snowball game and I, th- I think you know, around that time of the N64 that, that really felt like a console that was actually showing its power. It had produced a, a number of games I was like, oh wow, yeah, this is a really good system. So I was definitely up for 1080 but I don't remember too much about it. it it's, it's one of those odd ones. I've replayed both games uh, for the show um, over the last couple of weeks um, and I don't remember get into the later stages so whether it's something i i just i messed around with enjoyed for a little while and then just moved on i would hazard a guess that was the case uh, but this time you know in 2018 i've sat, i've stuck to it and, and got my way through all the uh all the content of the games um as for avalanche no i never played it at launch um it one that completely passed me by uh for whatever reason i'm not sure but um so that's a, a brand new experience for me in 2018 playing avalanche for the first time uh, and we'll talk about that, how that holds up, uh, I guess, today's standards in a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Mikhail, were you there early doors? Um, I bought a lot of magazines, uh, like N64 magazine during those times, almost monthly. Of course, in those uh, dedicated uh, Nintendo 64 magazines, there wasn't a whole lot else going on. So the, a lot of those games would get a lot of coverage pre-release, right? Like a lot of in-development yeah. uh, features and previews. Uh, so oh, yes. it, lo- it looked like a gorgeous game, but I never really jumped on it uh, at launch. And then uh, maybe two years after its release, my friend, the dealer, who I also uh, <laughs> <laughs> mentioned in the Resident Evil podcast, uh, he uh, gave his copy to me. Uh, he gifted it to me uh, as a birthday gift. Uh, it was a legit copy, by the way. Uh, it still sounds so no, nefarious uh, when you say the dealer. But I, I still, you know, I, I might have popped it in and played it a little bit, but never really gave it much uh, much playtime until me, my parents, my then girlfriend and my brother went to a resort uh, in the winter of uh, 2000 uh, where they they had an indoor uh, snowboard and skiing uh, ramp in cool. uh, school. And we, we took a little snowboarding class. And then we also, you know, as a result, kind of me and my brother kind of really got into the game uh, 1080 and we started to really right. get an appreciation uh, for mm-hmm. it that wasn't there before. Do you remember Avalanche uh, times? Avalanche is 
also, I think because I, I really like 1080, I was uh, following the development of the game with more interest, but it got pretty lukewarm reviews when it was released. Uh, so I never really jumped on that either until I picked it up at a convention. Still, I think the GameCube was on its way out at the time that I uh, that I bought it for 10, 10 euros or something. It was like a like a bar, bar, uh, super bargain uh, thing and out of, just out of yeah. pure c- curiosity and because of the low price, I just uh, snatched it, uh, snatched it up. Cool. Uh, yeah, I was also aware of the original 1080 snowboarding for the best part of a year before I got to play it uh, because it ended up coming out in uh, different winters. So we had to wait a lot long, uh, longer for it to come back around to European winter in, in 98. And I pretty much knew I was going to get it based on the reception to the import version. I knew it was Nintendo EAD in-house and they were producing amazing stuff. Uh, So, yeah, I got it as soon as it came out and played it an absolute ton. Uh, Got really quite decent at it. Uh, All modes, unlocked everything. Um, And I've bought it twice since on both virtual consoles and uh, I've been back to it for the show. The Avalanche game, I bought it as soon as it came out, despite the fact that I had the exact same feeling as Darren about Wave Race Blue Storm, knowing that this was, again, the same team. So the the development had moved over to uh, Nintendo Software Technologies, which is an American team. And I didn't feel that, although Wave Race Blue Storm was a very pretty game, I didn't feel it at all captured the feel of the original. Um, So I was concerned that Avalanche would be the same. And although I found that... uh, Although I was concerned, I bought it nonetheless. I found that to an extent I felt the same way, but I did prefer it to Wave Race Blue Storm and I thought it had enough of its own kind of fun and features to uh, to make it worthwhile and I played it all the way through um, back in the day. At some point I sold my copy and uh, I saw a copy recently, uh, probably for about the same price as uh, as Mikhail paid for his in, in Brighton's uh, Ninja Game Den, which is a, a burgeoning um, retro indie store. So shout out to them. And uh, and I didn't rebuy it because I didn't have the money and I didn't, haven't had the time to play it. So so my my experience of Avalanche is based on memory and uh, re- revision, basically research. So uh, that may affect it somewhat. One thing I found that was very interesting in my research. Now, I don't think I can't think of any others and I can't even think of any snowboarding events that were contained within multi-sport sims because there have been quite a few games, you know, Epic's Winter mm, Games, yeah. Games the Winter Edition. I don't think anyone had attempted, attempted snowboarding. There were those, snowboarding... Uh, those Winter Olympics uh, games by Konami as well. Yeah, um, Nagano yeah. Winter Olympic. Yeah, yeah, but that, that yeah. didn't feature any snowboarding events either, right? No. And snowboarding's been around since the 60s. Like, mm. it's not, it's not, it wasn't a brand new thing. The first attempt at putting it into a video game was a game called Heavy Shredding on the NES in June 1990. Uh, I'm not familiar with that game. No, me neither. There were only seven other snowboarding games before 1080. So uh, there were two on the Super Nintendo, Tommy Moe's Winter Extreme, which also had skiing in it, uh, Winter Gold. <laughs> Uh, they're, of course, probably more famously and well-known. There were two Cool Borders games on mm-hmm. the PlayStation before uh, before the 1080 came out. Zap Snowboarding Tricks came out on the Saturn, and the Saturn also had Steep Slope Sliders, which was uh, its own sort of answer to Cool Borders in some ways, I guess. And then, yeah, as we mentioned, Snowboard Kids, which was a cutesy, almost Mario Kartish take on snowboarding. But actually, I think it had some, it had quite a, uh, quite a good feel mm-hmm. for snow. Yeah. Um, I didn't play that one, but I know a lot of people liked mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, this was the ninth ever snowboarding well, um, game. <laughs> Nagano Winter Olympics definitely had a snowboard halfpipe thing. So there was, there was okay. another snowboard in a game. Uh, 
you know, uh, uh, just before we played Tenet is snowboarding. But not the going down the whole mountain and all that. I, I, I seem to recall there being a slalom as well, where you go left and right between these um, flags. Okay. I'm sure there was more to Nagano than just like bobsled and, I don't know, hurling, um, what are they called? Kettles. What are they called? Curling things down the um, lane. <laughs> there was more to Nagano Winter Olympics that I, than I remember. I <laughs> know, oh, sorry. Than I'm remembering. Um, so I seem to remember playing an N64 snowboarding games like Snowboard Kids, which is kind of what you expect Nintendo to have made, you know, because it's the obvious parallels yeah. to Mario Kart. And, but Nagano Winter Olympics, we definitely played more snowboarding on that. I should have done some research before this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more to the N64 uh, in terms of snowboarding that I'm slightly misremembering. Oh, no worries. But uh, I, can't, I can't, don't actually remember the release date of, of Nagano Winter Olympics. It was, um, I think it was February over here in Europe. We got it. We got it just before 1080 snowboarding. It, it goes in that order. Okay. So we had the Nagano right. Winter Olympics, 1080 come in Japanese import and Nagano went straight out the window. Pretty much. Okay, yeah. so we can say that this might be the ninth or possibly the tenth mm. game, video game featuring <laughs> snowboarding uh, in, in 1998. We're not picky. So, so let's look at the development crew behind this game. This was, as I say, Nintendo EAD in Kyoto. And the directors, uh, two of them, obviously producers, I say obviously, but producer was Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, but the directors of the game, uh, Masamichi Abe, who had previously worked on Tekken 1, 2 and 3. Which, uh, which was a surprising thing to find out, and went on to work on uh, Pikmin 1 and 2 and uh, various Mario versus Donkey Kong games, uh, and recently is, uh, was an assistant producer on Snipperclips. Meanwhile, uh, the other directors, uh, Mitsuhiro Ta- uh, Takano, who had created the uh, quite memorable, I think, Wave Race 64 Attract Mode, uh, wrote the script for Star Fox 64 and wrote cinemas and scripts for The Legend of Zelda between um, this year, 98 and 2006. Main programmer, this is an interesting one because it's a, a British bloke, Giles Goddard, who uh, worked for Argonaut previously and worked on Star Fox or Star Wing, as we had over here. He also probably famously coded the Super Mario 64 face for the front of that game. Right. And uh, went on to work on Dosh in the Giant and the much maligned Steel Diver. Programmer was Colin Reed, who'd also worked on Super FX stuff on Super Nintendo, worked on Stunt Race FX, and then later worked on the impressive but finger-mangling Metroid Prime Hunters uh, the online Metroid game for Nintendo DS. Yeah. Uh, the character designers, Hiroaki Takanako, worked on characters for Pilot Wing 64, Mario Kart 64, and the Pokemon Stadium games before going on to Pikmin, and more recently, Swap Note on the 3DS. We've noticed recently, going back to these Nintendo games, that a lot of the staff who used to work on the games are now working on channels and apps and you know stuff that, that isn't necessarily directly game-related. The map designer was Katsuhiko Kano, who'd previously worked on Super Mario 64, Wave Race 64, F-Zero X, uh, went on to work on Luigi's Mansion, and here we go again, the AR games for 3DS, Street Pass games for 3DS, Game & Wario, and the Nintendo Badge Arcade, Miitopia, and Snipperclips. <laughs> it's a long history of the company, yeah. isn't it? God. Yeah. Kenta Nagata was the uh, the sound composer who we've spoken about relatively recently because of his work on Mario Kart 64. And the sound engineer was Hideaki Shimizu, worked on Super Mario 64, Wave Race 64, Yoshi Story and Flipnote Studio recently. <laughs> so there we go again. Uh, voice samples. Now I want to talk to Mikhail about this. So we've got a few Western names in there, including Giles Goddard. So these are the names that you hear as the borders, but also 
in the musics, which we'll talk about separately. But Mikio, I believe you used to work at Nintendo with one of the people you can hear on this game. Yeah, Wataru Yamaguchi, uh, and he's uh, he's actually also the character illustrator for the the images of the borders in the in the manual. Uh, yeah, he does a lot of uh, character art for uh, has done for uh, various Nintendo games. He's one of the only people that returns for the sequel, in fact, because he does more. <laughs> manual character yeah. Art, yeah yeah and he's uh, when i spoke to him about 1080 he's that's that's some of the work he's most proud of also the the character mm. illustrations yeah. for the for the characters in the, the 1080 yes. games and he's very fond of that big uh, when you when you see see this guy he looks a bit like he could be a snowboarder you know he wears a ski hat and uh, he has long hair <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah kind of a kind of a renegade uh, type of figure uh, among your average nintendo salary man you know yeah, he did uh, the, the 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 shouty vocals for the intro song. At least that's the uh, uh, the, the intro, the absolutely atrocious sounding uh, intro song for the game. Me and a, a colleague of mine who had a kind of a cheesy appreciation uh, for it, we all, we tried to to tease him a little bit about this. So we would just mm. like, who is he? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> when he walked by, and it always uh, put a smile smile on his face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is excellent. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's got a sort of name dropping there from the Kane and Rince podcast. I love it. So yeah, as we said, this game came out in February '98 in Japan. So yes, ten years ago in North America, they just had to wait till April, and in the EU, we had to wait for summer to happen before it got chilly again in October and they, they let us have 1080 snowboarding. Uh, the Wii Virtual Console release came 10 years later uh, in January 2008 and in Europe as it was the norm back then we got the PAL version on the Virtual Console so the version that we were used to. However, the Wii U Virtual Console version in December 2015 we got the North American version mm. as did the North Americans. So the version that you can play now on Wii U is full speed I should should say that the original PAL version was full screen. They optimized. They'd started to optimize uh, screen size for PAL, so that was good. But uh, the game still tended to run noticeably slower. The Japanese Virtual Console got 1080 snowboarding three weeks after we did. I don't know why. Reviews were generally pretty positive. Twenty three outlets reviewed it, and it comes in at just under ninety percent. Uh, I think there were some naysayers which generally the criticism tended to be around the difficulty, the relative difficulty of the game in terms of staying upright and things. But, uh, but I think people were generally impressed by the, the feel, the look and the, uh, the sort of the, the suite of entertainment that was on offer. Uh, and the game went on to sell just over 2 million copies worldwide, which I would suggest was probably not bad for a snowboarding mm. game, which was mm. you know, relatively a niche, a niche concern. Quiet Paul from the Cane and Rinse Forum says around late November, early December 2017, I went through my annual melancholy want for nostalgia kicks and decided to fish out and dust off my old N64. Played a whole plethora of games I remember to have loved in my youth, including Shadow Man, Mystical Ninja, FIFA 98, Perfect Dark, GoldenEye, as well as 1080 Snowboarding. Still in its box after all this time. I remember not getting far in it, but still having some fun with it. I jumped straight onto the training slope where I quickly learned that it's going to take some time and finesse to get far in this game. No matter what method I used, I struggled to get my head around it. It was as welcoming as an inopportune stiffy. As a hard outer shell, maybe I just don't have the patience to crack it, crack it again, which is annoying as I felt I used to enjoy this game a lot. But it does explain why I never got far in it. 
After smashing my character's face on the icy floor a few more times, I moved to the races where I got annihilated. After a few tries and giving my approach a wee tweak, I did start winning races eventually, but by that point I was ready for something a bit more mindless and shooty-shooty gunbang. Perhaps the knowledge that this was a fleeting nostalgic wave was what left me too impatient to remaster it, but my, uh, but my memory of the game is fond. For its age, it looks graphically all right. The trail in the snow behind the board, the surrounding environments, and the nice skyboxes, Golden Forest especially nice, give it a few pass marks. Although I found it to be one tough cookie of a game to get good at, I did enjoy my revisit to the N64 slopes. It made for a good laugh. This old 98 gem is definitely no stale fish. Thank you, Quiet Paul for your punning efforts. So yeah, let's talk presentation and uh, we'll roll into the graphics as well, but the overall sort of uh, feel of booting this up and uh, and getting into the game. Darren, your recollections? I remember it looking that unlike any other N64 game I'd seen before that, it seemed to have a level of style to it that I'd never really kind of imagined. I'd never played many snowboard games before this, would be said before, but this one just kind of mm. took it to the next level. The, the intro music, as we said, is a, is laughable in my opinion, and but it mm-hmm. also adds to the vibe of the game. Like I, I like it in a way that you know you can just go, oh yeah, that's tenet, it's snowboarding. It's kind of um, juxtaposed against the actual mechanics itself of the game because I find it really hard. But that song just makes me crack up laughing, think, hey, yeah, Nintendo time, and then I play it and it, it just <laughs> kicks my um, kicks my rear end. But presentation wise. It's got like pre-rendered kind of like log cabin, you know, where they're all playing and pool and jukeboxing it and stuff. And it just looked like yeah. nothing that I've ever really seen before on, on that console. Yeah. Um, N64 was the first console I really sunk my teeth into. So to see... The characters uh, wear, wear cool baggy clothes. Yeah, they, and they, 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 look, they sit in cool, cool poses. They look all nonchalant-like. Yeah, you know, you they're know? just chilling out. One's on the balcony, one's playing pool, one's, you know, just doing this thing. The visuals, they, they looked more realistic because before that we had like humans in Goldeneye with triangle fists and stuff. But this just kind of took it yes. to the next level for me. And genuinely, mm. without an expansion pack, this game looked and felt better than any N64 game I'd seen up until then. I think they also used a new technique to create the characters where they sort of got rid of polygonal joints between yeah. uh, but, uh, for, for the for the characters. That's why they look so much more believable and, and li- uh, realistic and lifelike than a lot of other N64 mm. polygonal uh, models that uh, attempt, yeah. attempt to come across as realistic. Yes, we were used to very triangular protagonists and going back to Wave Race, for example, it, yeah, it's extraordinary how, how blocky and polygonal they look. Yeah, and, and Darren, uh, how do you feel the game holds up visually? N64 games, we often talk about having a struggle to still look pretty in the, this year uh, in, in this this era we're in 2018 for those listening in the future i love the n64 but uh, you know mostly from nostalgia purposes but looking back now or even back then i most games looked wooden to me like especially third party games they all had like a weird kind of obviously blurry but to me i always imagined n64 games made out of wood you can kind of just tell from the way they're built that <laughs> no you know like the playstation one had its um you know, anti-aliasing and it's and it, the polys. Um, you could see in between some of the poly um, textures and stuff, shimmering yeah, and wobbling, all and over the place, dithering and all but that stuff. Yeah. Looking back now on 1080 snowboarding, I, I genuinely think it's one of the better looking N64 games. You know, it, it, no, it, I agree. It's, it's not. It's not like, you know, you wouldn't confuse it for a Dreamcast game or something, or you know, a, a next generation console. But looking back on it, you just think. Look at look how good it looks at times um, mm. when you're snowboarding on the um, on the on the actual hard ice and you hear the crackle of the snowboard against the ice and the sun bounces off it. The, the 
and seeing the N64 carved in the, on the side on, on one of the levels, I genuinely I think it is, if not, you know, in the in the top five best looking N64 games, it is for me, yeah, um, visually stunning. I've got to back that up. I, I I'm not too sure what I can say from back then. My memories of the the original game are pretty hazy almost like the n64 yeah. but having gone back to it now um i think i was expecting it to to look worse than it does and yeah. actually um because this set me down the the slopes to playing more snowboarding games because i you know, I haven't played a, a good snowboarding game in a long time so i went off and, and played cool boulders both one and two uh, as a comparison i thought it was a really interesting comparison piece for for a games that were before Tenati. Mm. yes that is a really mm. good thing to do if you want to see actually the the progression of where 1080 sits in that time because mm. it, I, in my head, like the PlayStation, obviously was a relatively powerful system. But like Darren already said, like it, it's got this kind of the the anti-aliasing. Like it's a, there's less haze to to the graphics, but at the same time, it takes away a lot of the charm. There's a lot of the stippling effects of polygons along the walls, etc. But it, yeah. it, yeah, the the the, um, the cool border franchise. I remember looking kind of a more you know more colorful, colorful and vibrant. But actually. Look really dated now. It's like super dated, like, mm. and and it's and it's certain things. So the things that um, 1080 do really, or 1080 does really well, is your place and feeling on the snow. So in the Cool Borders games before it, it, it felt like you were literally going down. I guess like a, a tarmac slope. You know, there wasn't very, there was very little indentation in in the snow. Mm. Um, there was no, there absolutely no shadows whatsoever. Yeah, and actually yeah. firing up 1080 now, it's surprising to see a lot of that stuff in place. So there's dynamic shadows of upon your player character so as you move down the slope the shadow moves with you depending where the light is within the environment which is a real surprise you're carving snow tracks as you're going down there even to the point where you're leaning in with your hand to kind of take a rebalance and it's also creating that as a its own snow um indentation yeah Yeah, and snow spray coming up at the camera yeah there's a lot of um reflection there's the light effects coming in there there's the old uh you know lens flare bloom which you know oh yeah was obviously starts to get used uh in a number of games around the time but it it really starts to add a a more kind of um kind of more realistic organic feel to the game which i i honestly don't think had existed around any of those snowboarding games around then even you know to the point of it um i I feel like this event 64 there's a chunkiness to the design. There always has been. And there's certainly if you compare it to its PlayStation, um, you know, foreground before that like there's definitely that kind of you know Mario 64 feels chunky the characters feel chunky like everything about when I feel that N64 it feels solid right yeah there's a there's a weight and uh to to the feeling of it and 1080 absolutely perfects that it it takes what could be you know obviously I think like their cool borders is kind of a bit more kind of gentle and easier going on on the player for sure but it, it adds a kind of dense and weight feel which I feel like you know We've experimented further down with the snowboarding games. I feel like something like almost to, to another parallel like skate. If you take kind of that idea of like, well, you know, Tony Hawk's is fun and yeah, whatever, it's do lots of tricks. But skate, you need to kind of master the control of the board and you know, the environment. It feels a bit more realistic, whether that's what they were essentially going for. But actually playing it today, it feels like, yeah, it's a lot more kind of grown up than, than what I'd been before. Going back to the visuals... What struck to me uh, when I replayed uh, the cards uh, recently uh, is we we always talk about N64 fog, right? Mm-hmm. Well, th- this game has a lot of clarity. It's kind of deceptive, but what appears to be a long draw distance in many cases because because yeah. of the, the the skyboxes create that effect as well and the winding courses with the, the rock faces on the side. 
when the fog actually kicks in, if you go on a harder uh, circuit, uh, you replay yeah, a track, the weather, and the, 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 the weather plays yeah. in. When the fog kicks in, it's not this, oh, that's the N64 fog again. It's actually no. a really nice mm. atmospheric effect with the yeah. with the snow particles uh, floating in front of the camera and everything. And before I, we, me and Darren touch upon just how the characters looked and everything, but also just the general ambiance of the game and its environments and a, a sort of a... Uh, a sharpness and a realism but also the yeah just the ambiance there the the lighting creates uh, a lot of atmosphere like the the mm. you know where the sun is at that time of the day mm-hmm. and the, the shadows it casts and mm. the 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 hue of the color hue reflected on the snow really impressive yeah, stuff yeah yeah like the golden light bouncing off bouncing off the snow and yeah. all that and and speaking as somebody who hasn't ever been skiing or snowboarding i still i find the you know the idea appealing and i suppose i actually yeah i want to try to uh, talk everything in together here because i think it it I, I sort of feel this way about the game is that it is actually the relationship between the feel and the look and the audio outside of the music <laughs> the connection between these those three things is really strong and it gives a, a, an almost unparalleled sense of being there. Yeah. Now, we will talk a little bit about the genre later, depending on how much time, but obviously we went on to play the SSX games on the next gen mm-hmm. and the next gen, if you played the reboot, um, and the Amped games. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to like about some of the, you know, some of the games in both of those series. But for me, I don't think any of them ever quite captured the same sense of atmosphere and place as 1080 snowboarding did. Maybe that's partly because it was my first um you know, snowboarding experience. I had played Cool Borders demo. I played the Steep Slope Sliders demo. I remember having a conversation with a friend at work who was a PlayStation guy, more of a casual gamer, but, you know, we used to play together. And I remember showing in the back of the box of 1080 and him saying, wow, that does look amazing. And he came around and we played it and uh, we had a good time, but he came away saying that he thought Cool Borders was more fun, you know, because it was that much more accessible. He didn't fall over so much, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, he wasn't denying that uh, 1080 felt like more of a, you know, a simulation, yeah. I suppose, mm-hmm. of the sport mm-hmm. rather than a, a video game. Sort of jumping ahead here, but as I say, I, wanna, I think I want to wrap it all in together. When you first boot up the game and you've never been into the menus, that music plays that you've already done a, a jolly good impression of Mikhail. <laughs> and for me the audio the, the music in this game is is one of the worst soundtracks in <laughs> video gaming history like genuinely i think it's absolutely it's appalling bad, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's unlistenable it's funny in its own right yeah. and it's funny to stick it on like a youtube video and just go <laughs> what were they thinking yeah um because it's such a terrible sort of imitation of um, well, it's various genres, but but it it butcher, manages to butcher every genre. There's like death metal yeah. in there at, at times. As there's well. a there's, yeah. a, there's de- a bit of death metal. There's yeah. the drum and bass slash jungle in there is is decent. Oh. I think it's I think it's okay. all right. Yeah, there's not a genre I like, so that might be my. I think I think yeah. when uh, yeah. when you've done with a race and you see the replay, that little drum and bass track is quite cool. Uh, okay, it's quite liquid. It's quite quick. It's quite flowy. You know, it's quite nice. Um, I was listening to the soundtrack when I was yeah. ironing today. And it does bounce from, I don't know, I know, proper dad, uh, bouncing from genre to genre. And the only time I thought it was any good was when it does like the replay music, the drum and bass, the, mm-hmm. the jungle, yeah, the incidental okay. stuff where it doesn't try so hard. But the stuff that you could imagine would be in kind of any other, like in a, in a wave race or something, you know, the music that doesn't try so hard in this game is when it's at its best. When it starts mm. blaring in your ears with all these terrible lyrics, like, <laughs> call me, and uh-oh, hello, hello. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is yeah. just... Touch me, me, baby. baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, work your body, work, work. 
Pokeball. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> but it's, it's crazy when you actually think about it. They've gone to the effort to write these songs for this game. Not even proven that it was ever going to be a success. Snowboarding games were hardly a massive thing. And they put all this effort into some really odd... Like, they could have just actually just done normal background, charming music and been done with it. But they've oh, gone full force. This brings, me on to my, this brings me on to my point which about the music, which is that because I thought the soundtrack was so appalling so quickly, I've, I've muted it. And I've, I've muted it ever since, pretty much. Like, occasionally, obviously, when I buy the VC version... It boots up and there's that music and I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> this is crazy because I uh, hadn't popped this uh, game into into my N64 for uh, I don't I can't even remember the last time I put it in there, and I was I turned on uh, the TV and the music was kind of soft, so I really increased the volume, you know, oh, and then all of a sudden. 1080 blaring through my speakers ah, yes. and I was, what well, is this? I like. I, and I started I actually started fiddling around. With the uh, S video cable, with the, the connectors in there, the audio connectors. I thought maybe the you know there's something wrong with the mixing. Then I found out when I t- I went to the options, it had sa- saved my original sound options, and I turned yeah. the music all the way down. <laughs> Not yeah. all the way, but very so that oh. it's still there, but it's to a point right. where it doesn't mm. uh, irritated me or uh, so there's still still some kind of sound sound that is not a completely empty thing but to, no, to a so point where it th- didn't didn't bother me bother me too much no. uh, see this is for me this is this is a huge part of my love of this game is the sound yeah. effects mm. and the complete silence yeah. behind this is what i wanted to say like the fact that it had such an appalling soundtrack to my ears was great in that it made me turn all the music off and i love the but sound after effects wave rate, yeah. like, oh, really- after wave race 64 right Oh, these games to me are sisters, they're cousins, they're brothers, they're, they're family. These Wave Race. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah sure, Wave Race sure, 64 sure. was like holiday, like TV program, wish you were here kind of music that's so perfect with the visuals. This noise is just so overwhelming <laughs> compared to the quiet, you know, you're right, Leon, to mute these music uh, noises, these sounds, because the quietness of a mountain, I, you know, I've tried snowboarding once and when you're at the top of a mountain, it is just so quiet and nice and people are just chill. But like... The music does not go with the visuals at all. And it's mm. like after Wave Row 64, they just completely misfired apart from, you know, the, yeah. the nice drum and bass at the end of the... Um... As a tradition of, uh, obviously, we went on to see a lot of, uh, for, for kind of extreme dude sports, we saw a lot of uh, fully licensed soundtracks with lots of alternate artists, sort of modern um, pop, punk, pup, punk, <laughs> punk pop. Sorry, it's early in the morning. Which you know a lot of a lot of which we we talked about Tony Hawk's a few years ago and and a lot of that stuff became completely synonymous. But here, obviously, there, there was no licensing. Mm. They went for something, and yeah, for me, it's it's an absolute car crash of, <laughs> of ear bleeding torture. But it led to me to get this almost you know this. I, I think it was the Edge review at the time that described playing this game, uh, like you know coasting down that um, Dragon's Cave course at night with nothing but the sound of. Um, of the of the board in the snow mm. and the wind buffeting your character's clothes as as an almost quasi religious experience and I totally yeah, felt so that, the like the atmosphere you're hearing then is the the noise of the kind of the well the ice underneath or the deeper snow yeah, and yeah, yeah having love more it. of a one to one connection with the actual game well that's another reason Completely. why I found this game to be visually more appealing than any other N64 game was the fact that the clothes did ripple in the wind and you could kind of hear it in yeah, the it way uh, the snowboard interacts with it, any different kind of snow or ice the snowboard was making a different noise and you know i haven't really heard anything like that before and it was just yeah completely um yeah kind of overwhelming in a way like in in the good and the bad sense 
So let's talk about actually controlling your border. So there's a selection of characters with uh, di- different abilities, a good spread of abilities, and also the boards that you choose have uh, have different uh, stats as well. Which um, so there's there's a fairly complex relationship between you, between your selection of character and board and the mode and the course that you're playing. Um, so there's quite a lot of depth there, I feel. But let's just talk sort of generically about the feel of playing. 1080. Um, and I think, I suppose one of the first things that we, we may as well address is the fact that it can be quite hard to stay upright. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Small and issue. It, it, remind, it reminded me of, I remember people used to talk about the PlayStation game V Rally mm-hmm. as being incredibly demanding. Like it was just, it was compared to its brethren or, you know, like Colin McRae or whatever, it was hard to just keep the car on the road, and I think this was like that in the sense that people who who had played Cool Borders previously, or even Snowboard yeah. Kids, just wanted to be able to you know point down the slope and go. This game sort of retained something from Wave Race, which was the damping button on B, but this has the trigger on uh, on the Z trigger, uh, which sort of makes you bend your knees. But it's also very specific about the angle that you need to land. On. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's quite, I still find even now I got really good at this game, completed everything, unlocked everything. Going back to it now, I still sometimes just land a jump wrong and go sprawling. Yeah, that first jump in the for- first track uh, completely yeah. eluded me this time around uh, where I got it right in the past. Like I sort of knew the angle I where to land and when exactly to, to hit the, the crouch button for a softer landing. But this time yeah. it just without fail, I uh, toppled over. It's not very forgiving, is it? No. So I think the the way you need to approach this game to enjoy it best, uh, the, the kind of mind state, is that you need to realize that, like Wave Race 64, this game is all uh, designed around the subtlety of the analog stick movement. Um, Correct. Yeah. So that means, like again, like in Wave Race 64, if you pull back while grounded and pull back and steer, you make these very sharp turns and uh, in the jump, it's all about your angle exactly and, and how you land. And that can be very hard just to see, like, you know, how are, am I lined up with the, with the actual ground when you're going down a slope? That's, uh, that's not so easy. It's more of, no. a, of a feel you develop over time. But yeah, there's a lot of subtle analog stick movement that you need to incorporate, as opposed to cool borders, which is fairly straightforward. Can I, can I just say, as somebody really coming to play this properly in 2018, they do a terrible job of explaining that to the to the player mm-hmm. um yeah even to the point where i you know my went down the, the the slope first landing flat on face okay no that's fine that was weird <laughs> here we go again i remember this game being hard off we go again flat on my face flat on my face like all the way down the slope and i was like yeah. i don't remember it being this this is okay so I ended up having to go and to look at the the user manual i was playing on the right. review um that the online user manual just to see whether I was yeah what I was doing wrong missing something um, and yeah. then just coincidentally because we were talking about this in our Slack channel it was like oh no yeah yeah hit the Z trigger like that's really important so like, oh okay so went back to the game hit the Z trigger flat on my face and I was like okay then <laughs> well, you got a time it oh, right oh yeah Tony. absolutely so and you know <laughs> to, to be fair I, for a while I absolutely felt like quiet Paul from the forum which was you know. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether I've got the patience for this. Yeah, in 2018, and it is mm. patience, and it, and that's what it is. It's learning 
learning when to pull that seed trigger, how to have that ball yeah. at an angle. It's maybe a little bit too much for somebody just wanting to pick up this game for the first time this far down the line. You feel gnarly and radical. Yeah, this far down yeah. the line, because yeah. the, the, I want to home in what you said about the, the game doing a terrible job of explaining the, that system. It's, in this day and time, you were actually, at the time when it came out, you were actually, you know, people uh, were uh, expected to read the manual for all those nuances <laughs> and fine things, you know? RTFM, <laughs> as they used to say. Yeah. yeah. yeah but, um, um, but even to that point, I, let me just, I, I never, I never quite got it down. And I still feel like, you know, even though I've played pretty much through all the game, I've still haven't perfected it. And I'm not too sure. I mean, you can tell me whether you can perfect it, but I am swearing blind. Mm. There is a number of times <laughs> which I have landed on the floor looking yeah. like I'm at the perfect angle. I've hit the Z trigger. Like everything about that was fine. Flat on face. Person overtakes you, comes first. You're like, oh my lord. Yeah. And until you get Mr. Penguin and uh, uh, like the stats really do make a difference in the character yeah. you choose. So you, you can give yourself a much, much better chance of staying upright. Now, this is something that they're really... Um, uh, it's talking about the sequel a little bit already. Uh, it's if you play the game side by side, you see how just how unforgiving the original 1080 mm-hmm. sno- yes. snowboarding is. Because in the sequel, when you don't land correctly, you have a chance to correct your balance. You lose speed, of course, but uh, you, you you won't fall flat on your face and have to Can get have up a again. Yeah, <laughs> I always found N64 um, the N64 game intimidating in the way that kind of Goldeneye gets on Double O Agent, but 1080 kind mm. of starts off on that foot. Like the mm. the heart racing kind of you know you know the the, the sweaty palms like uh, it kind of does mirror snowboarding in a lot of ways because I tried it for a week and I just couldn't get the you know, the hang of it at all. Mm. So in a way, I can kind of mm. see why they went really hard on it, but also like I the so N sixty four the game launched and you know we played it and I was never good at it. I played Avalanche for the show and learned all the things from that. And then one day I just sat down with the N64 game and just absolutely flew through it all. Yeah, so, um, that's my oh, exact right. story as well, Darren. It's Avalanche oh, really? that actually made me come back to yeah. uh, 1080. And <laughs> you know, yeah, because wow. it, it with that game, at least it teaches you crouching is really important, mm-hmm. like how you yeah. position the board and all that stuff. But if you get if you do it wrong, like there's that safety net. Mm-hmm. So actually enjoying that game, understanding the mechanics and then bringing that back into 1080. I mean, obviously people at the time hadn't, couldn't do yeah, that. You but, couldn't do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, <laughs> there is definitely an avenue there if you uh, play the later game. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And there's the, 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 the Z-trigger crouching, uh, make depending of course on which, char- which character you pick, but generally the Z-trigger crouching makes you careen down the mountain like a missile and you're very... It's it's very difficult to maneuver uh, in that position. Mm-hmm. So you you use it and you let go of it a lot more than you would do in uh, Avalanche, where I find find myself holding it down almost the whole time. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of risk reward to the you know the crouching in the N64 game, uh, and that, that goes yeah. for the whole handling of well, in my case, Dion. Um, yeah, Dion Blaster. That's it. And um, I I always found he was the most steady for me on the landing and that's all it came down to for me was actually playing this game um properly you know get good and all that was to play with the character and the the standard board that i found you know was um you know good enough for me um, mm. and the stats do really matter and i i lent towards um oh, i lent away from people who had the stats of tricks and stuff because i never really saw the point of tricking while it's a race game because ultimately this mm-hmm. this is a race game and the the tracks the yeah. tracks do have a lot of variation you know, and where to go in terms of like for a hut on a log. But I, another thing that clicked with me with the N64 game is that why would I 
why would I risk going over this log when I can just go around it and not land on my face? Like <laughs> that clicked for me. And I was like, right, okay, stop being a show off to no one. Just, just do the, just do, do the regular thing first before. We, like, oh yeah. I, I was learning yeah. to run before I could crawl and it, it was really punishing. The races are just for racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. There's, there's really no need to ever do a trick in, cause you don't get it. It's not like SSX where they put in speed boosts or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the lock, the lock, uh, grinding, uh, it's not really grinding in this game. No, yet. no it's a, not the, really grinding in this like one. Like sur- surfing a lock can actually carry you over some tricky, bumpy terrain sometimes. Mm. So there's, yeah. there's, but the actual tricks don't do anything for you. No, the stats uh, when you have your character and the boards, it's kind of an intimidating pick as well. Or intimidating is maybe not the right word, but it almost feels if you look, compare the stats, it almost feels trivial the differences between them. But there are in the in the end, of course, depending on what combination you t- you take. But it's quite hilarious yeah. how much the stats of each board uh, of a lot of boards seem alike mm. yeah and some of them just seem you just look at them and think well that's clearly inferior in every department to another board so why would I even consider picking it like some yeah. of them seem to be quite low grade boards that always makes me laugh in games it's like well why would you ever pick that one that has terrible yeah. stats <laughs> yeah yeah and it is definitely worth you know if you do get into this game it is definitely worth uh, heading towards the unlocks of the extra characters and uh, and stuff which we'll, which we'll talk mm. about. But yeah, I, I want to talk about the course design because I think it's uh, it's kind of memorable. I, I, I know this sounds weird because I remember even at the time, um, friends of mine sort of talking about particularly car racing games. And like one of the first things anyone would ask was not, not how it handles or how much fun is it? It was like, how many, how many courses has it got? How many courses has it got? It's like, if it, if it had less than 12 or something, they were like, now nah, I'm not buying it. Whereas I used to say Ridge Racer is amazing. <laughs> like, Ridge Racer is such fun. It had one course. People were like, I'm not buying a racing game with one course. Sega Rally, four courses. Yeah. I'm, you know, so this has eight courses and I actually miss the days when games had fewer courses, but they were, kind of designed to and they were polished and honed and they were just yeah like Sega Rally is a great example of that I know we're not covering that game now or this year even the game had three courses plus one and they were just so perfectly designed like every corner and and I feel a bit like that about 1080 like every course has its own distinct yeah. feel its personality its bits where you know it's it's got really well thought through shortcuts and exactly the sort of thing you just mentioned where you can um, there's a you know there's a risk reward thing of going a, a, along a, a log that's high up in the air and if you if you land uh, safely you're going to cut out a whole uh, tricky section all that kind of thing yeah. but for me even more than the the actual the sort of the plotting of the courses in terms of um, their features it was it was the the, the distinct look and feel of each course um, and some of them actually run into each other at the bottom which is cool yeah um, they share they sort of yeah, nominally shared geography, which gives again sort of plays it feeds into that connection between everything being a real place on a real mountain with a real cabin with real yeah. people. I love that sort um, of thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, as again, I keep coming back to Dragon Cave, which you unlock a a, a little way into the, the into the intermediate run, and um, yeah, I just think that is just a magnificent piece of like it's a memorable in the same way as you might remember a certain level of a of a game that you progress through. Like that is a, I remember, you know, being in that place and feeling like I was on that mountain at night. The levels, as you say, are, they have their own character. They have their own vibe. And when you first set off around, you know, the first corner, you, the first corner kind of, for me, 
triggers off like a muscle memory thing of like, right, that's the first corner. Now I know what to expect from the rest of this course. Um, I don't really know him off by name um, other than Dragon Cove, weirdly enough. But um, Golden Forest. Yeah, they they all have like like I say. As soon as I start and I see like the, the, one of the courses has like these, these little mini steps that go up, up and up and up. And then after that, I kind of it sets the tone for the whole level, and you kind of know what to expect. I always lent towards doing the cool stuff when really I, I should have been just been learning to do the the basic stuff first, and then you know testing myself and actually going through the hut and you know uh, successfully rather than bouncing off the wall nine times and falling out the other side. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a lot of variation to these courses and. You know, there's only eight of them, but it doesn't really feel like there's only eight of them because they're they're all so intense and you're also in the moment of that course that, you know, that that the eight courses are done and you think, oh, OK. But then you play it again and like you find different challenges to tackle based on the routes mm. that are given. Yeah. Different routes. It's really yeah. it's really quite remarkable because if if you look at the layout, they're almost all of them just squiggly. But still straight, line, straight yeah. lines uh, yeah. down, uh, down, uh, down the slope. So it's quite remarkable that they managed to achieve that. And I find it really uh, interesting you touch upon Sega Rally because I felt exactly that same thing when I went back to it. It's this interplay mm. between the course design and the inter- intricacies and the subtleties there and the intricacy and the subtleties of the controls, yeah. which is very similar to, to Sega Rally because that has mm. a lot of finesse in its controls as well to where yeah. you get indeed a sense of mastery that that's absent from games that prioritize the amount of content over this sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. It's funny actually because yeah. I've, I've recently got into racing games, like car racing games, um, and the whole idea of those games is obviously is making the track as straight as possible, so you lose as less speed as possible. You know, taking mm. corners at the right angle to make sure you leave the apex at a different angle, um, and it's exactly the same in 1080. Uh, both the games I played now, which is you know just trying to straighten that course up, and I think sometimes that works great because it, it takes you down the most obvious way and other times you feel like oh no i'm just going to take this shortcut down there because that makes it so much easier and then fall flat on your face and so you occasionally learn to not actually follow those rules and actually go the easier way but i think because the game is relatively challenging i think it, it forces you to really have to remember those courses well that's what i certainly found with the the, the n64 title which is having to learn course design purely out mm. the fact is i will not complete it if i do not remember that i need to take a you know a very tight um uh, apex into the right there which yeah. is going to leave me there but you know there's a fence line there that looks like i should jump it but do not jump yeah. that because you will fail you know nine times out of <laughs> ten although the you know, yeah it's succeeding it it will absolutely put you well ahead but actually the risk reward there isn't worth it and etc etc yeah. the amount of times i knew like if i jump there the chances of landing that a minimal so it's just not worth the the risk and just try to stay on the board as much as possible mm. and the ai is uh is not infallible it does make mistakes but as you mm. go up through the levels and you know the race is kind of displayed as the main mode in this game getting through getting to the bottom ahead of one other person it's only one one versus one and that can be quite intense in itself the the whole one versus one dynamic um but yeah you really do from intermediate and above you really do need to sort of ride not a perfect race but a, a fairly yeah without too many um, major faults in unless you get you know you do sometimes get a bit of luck it doesn't feel completely um scripted it certainly isn't sometimes they make mistakes 
And um, yeah, we should mention also that actually this game has a damage meter, which uh, which with some of the characters can go down quite quickly if you keep hurting <laughs> yourself, keep landing badly, yeah. keep bumping into. You can actually get game overed, and there's a there's a selection of lives. This is dating the game; it's twenty years old, and um, yeah, so you can. There's only so up. many so many bones you can break. Right? Exactly. There's the only, point there's only you can't go on anymore. Yeah. That, that's true. And <laughs> the damage you meter can only is so many times. kind of pointless anyway, because if you crash in that mount, you you've got lost the race regardless so i always found like well time the damage meters come up it uh, and you know quit me out of a race i was well behind where i needed to be so it was you know normally yeah, i found yeah. it really hard to catch yeah. up with the ai and you know any damage kind of if it, if it was early on you could kind of scrape back uh, but if, mm. there's, there's a few yeah. things that avalanche did that made me kind of feel more you know that i liked it more basically because it had the opportunity to have a little dig back at your you know your ai opponent whereas in this one i've really missed it actually in retrospect going oh, i'd really love to have a, a power bar where i could just push him over and just tell him to you know eat you for a second <laughs> uh, I, I didn't really miss it playing it you know in playing him in reverse this time around the one thing i did want to mention was this comes sort of back to the visuals as well, but um, some of the, the narrower sections of the courses as well do still convey a real sense of speed, I think, mm-hmm. um, which I think is tied into the fact that it does feel more like a, a simulation game in that the speeds feel, they don't feel absurd. It feels like a realistic, and I imagine snowboarding down a mountain in real life feels incredibly fast. Um because you know you're strapped to a board going down a mountain, hur- <laughs> strapped to a board hurling going down a mountain. But I think, um, and 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 again, the feel of the snow, especially the powder bits, yeah. I just think is absolutely is just sensational. Like really properly feels um, like obviously you don't want to be going through the thick deep powder if you can avoid it in a race because it it slows you down a bit. But it but you don't mind because it's just it's just got a <laughs> it's got a wonderful sense. You sink into it a bit and the and the sort of spray all kicks up into the camera and. Um, yeah, it doesn't create like any sort of on lens effects or anything like that, but it it just kind of obscures your view and and all that stuff's great. But I think one of the the reasons that people do find this game frustrating is unlike even some games that came before it, the actual act of falling over is really ungainly and ugly and it doesn't feel good. There's no entertainment from ragdolling down the mountain. Yeah. You just kind of sprawl about with your legs are stuck out in a triangle, which again, I'm sure is realistic. <laughs> but, um, and, you know, at least you don't come away with like, you know, terminal brain damage or paralysis. But, um, but there's no actual, there's no entertainment value to failing in this game. Mm. It's just frustrating. Mm. It's just like you get this horrible sound effect of, you know, this real thud, thunk. Like there's no kind of fun to be had from from failing. You and, would, you and, must yeah. almost, it's almost as if it was intentionally unfun to fall uh, over. Yeah. Intentionally frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think as so. An, as an in- incentive to really master it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as well as the racing, which uh, you probably will get through eventually if, if you uh, if you persist, uh, although the the final set of races are are quite challenging, um, there is a lot more to do. And I spent a lot of time beyond match race on trick attack. So there's three variations of trick attack: air make and half pipe, being the ones that I spent an inordinate amount of time in. So the the trick interface there's up to twenty nine tricks, some of which are exclusive to when you wear the unlockable panda head. Um, so I think you can normally do about twenty three or twenty four tricks at any one time. As you'd expect, they involve tilting the analog stick, holding down the B button for grabs, rotating the stick, tapping the R button. While I did get pretty good at this and I could pull off multiple 1080s and stuff, it took so much practice Mm. and I never felt like I was fully in control of what I was doing. 
and the amount of times that I launched off the airmake ramp and just nothing <laughs> happened. Like the amount of times, and I went back to it, and and I went back to the tricking this time, thinking I'm never going to be able to get as good at, at this as I did back in '98, '99, and I was right. But it's now just it feels pretty much unforgivable the amount of times you can go off a ramp and just not even start doing a trick or just doing one trick and getting 200 points and then falling over because you forgot to land yeah like it's really tough and frustrating and like i was addicted to it but it's well harsh nowadays there's not enough of a pay payoff to to warrant the uh um Investment mm. you're doing uh, mm. as far as yeah. practicing and, and getting it right go. And I remember playing it with, with my brother and just passing a controller around to try mm. and outdo each other uh, in a trick mode, which was uh, was a lot of fun. Try to see if we could uh, show each other up, you know, and uh, get get more points and do some more crazy, crazy stuff. The feeling of landing a multiple, you know, where you've managed to put in a few 1080s and a few grabs. And landing it and getting there's some really nice audio work rewarding your efforts. Yeah, yeah. When and until you've got to that point, and even when you have got to that point, the amount of times you just won't get anything is yeah. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel right in in this modern world. Yeah. And it was it was tough enough twenty years ago. I'm, hate's a strong word. <laughs> no, but um, in all seriousness, I, I I'm a massive fan of SSS Tricky, and it, it that almost managed yeah. to make it on this year's show list, and but 1080. So to do that one, this one instead, um, and after you've you know pulled off the ridiculous moves that you can pull off in in SSS Tricky, and have that kind of feedback of the music playing back into you, come into a game mm. like this, and yeah, completely different ends of the spectrum. It's yeah, an unfair mm. comparison maybe, but the the effort to to actually pull off anything of any significance and land it and feel good about it, it to me certainly in 2018 just wasn't worth the you know the investment i yeah you know, i pulled off a, a few you don't pull them off in the middle of the race it's it's almost suicidal unless you're oh, an no. expert player no, no, no. and <laughs> even stuck in a half pipe it's it's hard enough in itself and you know the big jump air stuff it's yeah to to me it's an area of the game i'm i'm i was never good at originally and i'm certainly not going to put the time in to be good at now because i just think better examples have come along and and just made that whole mechanic a lot more kind of entertaining and fun Again, it really does come down somewhat to the character you pick and the board you pick. It does it like it's noticeably easier if you're using a tricking specialist mm. and a trick specialist board, like to actually get something going. But even then, it's still sometimes you'll just go off the end of, of or you go up in the air of a half pipe and you'll just wiggle about <laughs> and it looks so it looks so rubbish. And you end up doing three of those in a row. Like you you know, you get a good head of speed up, you zoom up the side of the half pipe, you go up in the air and you just kind of twitch about like a dying <laughs> fish. And uh, and you do that two or three times in a row, and you just want to. One yeah, thing I do appreciate the is the, there is a training mode that lays out what yes. tricks you can do and what what other button combinations you can do to actually perform the tricks. And I, I did appreciate that because it meant that I could actually at least attempt some of that stuff in a kind of a more kind of safe environment. Yeah. And yeah, I mean the 1080, for instance, you know the cover name of the game. I think it's like it's it's hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's a full rotation of the stick. Three times, but equally, I think there's yep. two but A button presses and the Z trigger yep. landing. That's it. Like that one takes a lot of speed to even have the room to do that. But actually, to pull that on the air and and make it look sensible and land it is pretty challenging. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like uh, pulling off uh, one of the harder super desperation moves in a King of Fighters uh, game. You know, yeah. kind of <laughs> right. Button input. Only harder because you actually need to, to do something after you pull it off and land it. And for an extra challenge, you could <laughs> yeah. do it in first person if you change the camera. Yeah, that, yeah. That, oh, that's, really cool. that's That's, that's <laughs> yeah. really disorientating playing that game in first person because yeah. the, the character's always wobbling around based on you know various landings and the camera's yeah. just yeah. always just with, Ooh. you know, inside the head of that person. It's just... Well, I don't recommend it, but I'd love to you see. You can actually it. swing the camera around as well to see behind you, yeah. um, which completely breaks the like the the environment because you start to see all like the edges of the environment they weren't allowing you to really uh, <laughs> appreciate. But yeah, it's there. I'd like to see a speed run of yeah, that first. It's not really mode. worth it. If, if anyone's done it, I want to see it because I want to see someone good at 1080 snowboarding in the first person because for me it's just unplayable. Uh, another mode that I, I I enjoyed going back to, which I kind of hadn't thought about, is the contest, which is where you do a bit of tricking and also some uh, slaloming mm. down three of the, three of the courses are, are slightly repurposed to have uh, red and blue flags, mm. which you go either side of, and a bit like wave races stunt mm. mode, but not as accessible. Um, you have to sort of uh, chain things together, and you can uh, boost your boost your score with uh, tricks and stuff. I think, um, and obviously the uh, uh, you get a, a go at the air make and the half pipe mm. in between the slalom races and it's about accruing the, the, the greatest score at the end. So it's a nice little incentive. And if, if you are in the zone mm. with the tricking, it's it's a fun time. I like that, man, purely because it made me go to different areas of the course that I wouldn't you know, normally veer off to the left if I was coming up to a, a, you know, a tight right. Sure. And yeah, it, it pushed me yeah. over to, to newer areas of the, the, the world I hadn't actually seen. Now, I... Played the two-player versus quite a bit with uh, my my good N64 gaming friend Pete. Uh, yeah, not as much as we played Mario Kart 64 and and some other things, but but when it was uh, when it was hot, we played quite a lot of this in in race mode. It was one of those where I don't think there's too much catch-up logic going on or rubber banding. So I think the better player tends to win. Um, Did it manage so, to keep a frame that, rate at all? Uh, I think it dropped somewhat from the. I think. The, the base game runs at 30, doesn't it? Or probably more like 25, actually. Um, and uh, I think two-player cuts down the detail level somewhat okay. on the draw distance. So, but yeah, no, it was fine. It was it was, uh, it was good fun. Fun to bump uh, into each other also. And yeah. Bump and bumble into each other and s- try to screw each other up. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I experimented yeah. a lot with the course design because when I was playing on my own, I took the most logical route, i.e. the most safest. Um, but in two-player, I was just, you know, I, I was never going to beat Will anyway because he's some sort of robot and once he gets hold of a game, he's like the best at it. So um, in, in this case, oh, I was just like, yeah. Those guys. But, you know, it's, it's the only way I'll get better is by playing people who are better than me most of the time. That's true. That's what we've been saying mm. about Street Fighter yeah. recently. And it was true. We were golden eye and basically mm. any other N64 game around that time. Um, but yeah, this was my chance to go I always go left here. How about if we go right? Oh, okay. That's why. Yeah, I remember why I don't go right because yeah. there's there's a chalet there that you can bounce off the roof and smack your face on the floor. You know, uh, under underneath. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have all these modes. But after the um after the main you know not the story but the campaign bit, I'm just so exhausted that I don't really I never really tried the contest other than just dabbling here and there. I'm always just a bit too like oh this game's just beating me. I've had enough. Also about uh, the the frame rate uh, that reminded me of a point I wanted to uh, uh, make is that it seems pretty well optimized for the PAL mm. region as well. I, mean, I was surprised to see no borders whatsoever when I booted uh, the game up. And uh, yeah, this was uh, something they'd started. It was the first game that they optimized for full screen in PAL was Star Fox sixty four, I think. Mm. Uh, Lilac Wars. Lilac Wars was not fully. It, it had its borders, but it was uh, yeah definitely much better than. Uh, 
uh, Wayfarer sixty four and Battlefield sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they 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 did make they 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 did some work on this. Unfortunately, they the games still tended to be a bit slower, but uh, yeah, at least it was something. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the things uh, I I I think I retain an affection for this game. It's one of the things I thought about when I sort of set the rule all those years ago in two thousand eleven that you had to finish games to talk about them on Kana Rinse. Was that my relationship with this game kind of was cemented? by the fact that I, I stuck with it and I mastered it and I unlocked everything and it made me feel like it was one of my games yeah. and it was a tough game that I'd kind of mastered to an extent. Although, as I say, going back to the tricks now, maybe I hadn't, but, um, but at the time I could do it. And the fact that I got the penguin board and the ice and gold borders in particular, the penguin board and the gold border, you can use, I think, in any mode after that. So you can then go back to your time attack times and destroy them. And that's hugely <laughs> satisfying. Yeah. Um, the penguin board is faster and uh, I think it keeps you upright better as well. And the gold border is the fastest, the strongest, doesn't fall down so much. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's transformative and hugely rewarding for having, you know, mm. gone through the, 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 the rigmarole of, of getting there and yeah, then breaks the game basically, but in, an, in a fun Doing way. a bit of research, you get the penguin board from getting first, second and third on all tracks or times or something like that i read i can't remember actually yeah so it's, i think it's having a score on every single track in first second and third place um yeah on the, on the leaderboard that's not actually that it's not actually that difficult worth doing anyway so moving on obviously we'll come back and summarize about 1080 but i think it's worth saying so we established earlier that this was probably the 10th ever snowboarding game then between 1080 and 1080 Avalanche, which came out just uh, four years later, or thereabouts, there were 40 <laughs> snowboarding games released oh, in less than six years. Yeah. So, yeah, this <laughs> kind of, th this and Cool Borders kind of changed the landscape. And I guess the technology allowed to really um, demonstrate it. But that it's not like there were no skiing games before, or even sur there were surfing games before, yeah. you know. They, it's I remember, not like I remember uh, Slalom on the, uh, on the NES yeah. by Rare. Uh, Precisely. Quite fun. Yeah. It's barely <laughs> yeah. any skiing uh, games when you're about Most of them are boarding games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior to this, though. Uh, there was there was quite a lot of skiing yeah. and not very much uh, not very much snowboarding and obviously with SSX on tour could, they brought the skiing choice, back yeah. into yeah back into snowboarding so yes let's put it this way it was a there was a bit of a a deluge of of snowboarding over the next few years bit of an avalanche boom fired <laughs> Paddy Gamer from the Kane Rinse forum says the first 1080 on the N64 never really clicked with me I rented it out and I found the controls very fiddly and unfair at times just landing after a jump was tricky. I'm sure if I put more time into it, I could have improved my skills. But after renting this for a few days, I gladly returned it. When 1080 Avalanche was announced, I wasn't that bothered about picking it up initially due to my memories of the previous game. At the time, though, I would regularly read NGC magazine and the previews of this game got me interested in giving the series a second chance. My then girlfriend bought this for me as an early Christmas present. And I remember the first time I turned it on and the guitars started wailing away on the menu screens through the 5.1 surround sound I'd recently bought. It had me hooked. Once the game started, I found the controls much more agreeable than the N64 game. I tried out all of the different characters, but my favourite is still the all-rounder Rob Haywood. I did like that they had some of the same characters from Wave Race Blue Storm as well, which was a cool idea. The GameCube controller is still one of my favourites, and racing down each track just using the L trigger and A button mainly before I figured out how to do tricks was really easy. Also, the rumble in this game was excellent, especially in later levels where there were actual avalanches chasing you. 
I spent a lot of time over Christmas playing Avalanche and trying to unlock everything. The tracks were there to be memorised and mastered. Finding the quickest way to the bottom was how I played it at first, but then when I figured out how to do grinds and tricks and land bigger jumps to boost my power bar, which makes you quicker and also invulnerable for a short time, then it became a case of finding the best route, which would allow you to power up quickly and then fly down the course. Using the time trials then to learn the tracks and to find the coins that let you unlock better boards was very clever as it taught you how to get to various parts of the tracks and helped learn the best routes. I didn't spend much time playing the trick attack mode as I found trying to chain the moves difficult and never had the patience to learn how to do it properly. I much preferred racing down the mountains. The multiplayer got a lot of play in my house. Growing up with three younger brothers meant that the GameCube and the N64 before it were our multiplayer consoles of choice, with Smash Brothers, Mario Kart and 1080 getting a lot of play on the GameCube. The lack of all the single player tracks being available in multiplayer was disappointing, but we made do with the tracks we had and after a while we had all became quite good at this game and would have some epic races. The start of the race, when you get that little boost by pushing forward on the analogue stick was crucial. If you could get out in front and power up so you couldn't be knocked over easily, you had a good chance of winning. The tracks that had a few different routes made for some really tense races, as you all converge at the part of the track just before the line, hoping to get there a split second before the other, or pulling off one last trick or grind to become invulnerable and knock the other guy over and steal the win. We only recently played this again, and even after all these years, we had a lot of fun mm. playing it in multiplayer. The match race was the mode I spent most of my time, and trying to beat the computer characters through each track in the varying difficulty modes was a lot of fun, with the tracks becoming more and more expansive as you unlock them. I really enjoyed the little set pieces in the longer tracks, and of course the final challenge courses which had various things like a jet flying past to create the avalanche of the title, all culminating with the final track where you jump off a cliff into a helicopter in slow-mo after being chased down a mountain by an avalanche. The first time I did this I thought it was really cool, with the cheesy rock blaring in the background and ending any 90s action movie would have been proud of. A special mention goes to that cheesy rock soundtrack. I loved Choke and Killing Me by Cauterize, but I played so much of this game, all of these tracks are stuck in my head forever, and I still listen to this soundtrack every now and again. Overall, I'm glad I didn't let my experience with the first 1080 stop me from picking Avalanche up, as it's one of my favourite games ever. I still enjoy playing through it with headphones on and the soundtrack blaring. It's even possible to play this through the Wii on the Wii U with a widescreen setting enabled, and it uses my own disc thanks to the Homebrew channel that works for both consoles. Naughty. <laughs> so, crafty crafty <laughs> uh, 1080 Avalanche then known in Japan which came out actually last as 1080 Silver Storm which I think is a rather pretty name and it matches up with Wave Race Blue Storm it does that was the idea yeah yeah so, as I said, the developer for this was Nintendo Software Technology Corporation, who had been formed just a few years prior, and their first project was the conversion of Namco's Ridge Racer 64. They also worked on the Pokemon Puzzle League, which was, of course, the N64 incarnation of Intelligent Systems Panel Upon, also known sometimes as Tetris Attack. It's not a Tetris game. And they also worked on Wave Race Blue Storm. Uh, so the producer this time is Shigeki Yamashiro, who'd previously worked on F-Zero, the original, and Wave Race Blue Storm. So the game director is Vivek Melwani, who'd previously worked uh, for EA on Future Cop LAPD, which was the sort of strike series uh, spiritual successor. Also on Road Rash Jailbreak. And more recently on, guess what? Whee! Snipperclips. <laughs> All roads lead to Snipperclips. Uh, game design was uh, Keith Friedley, who worked on The Mark of Cree, which is a sort of cult PS2 classic, now available on PS4 in an up form, I believe. And Richard Verodi, who went on to work 
for Crytek Austin and also on Darksiders 2. Not Super Clips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lead art included Ed Barkley and Trevor Johnson, but also Katsuhiko Kano, one of the only links back to 1080 snowboarding. Um, but yeah, as you can tell, it was largely a different crew. The audio director and the music was uh, Lawrence Schwedler and James Philipson. Uh, so these are obviously not Japanese names any longer. Uh, Miyamoto is still the producer and uh, Wataru Yamaguchi was involved in character illustration once again. Uh, so this came out in Europe first. Hooray, we won uh, something November the 28th, 2003. Three days later in North America and uh, another, yeah, almost a couple of months later in late January 2004 in Japan. The reviews, as we attested to earlier, were not stellar. Uh, and considerably lower than the the previous game, 75.56% from 46 reviews. And I wonder if that was partly to do with the fact that we'd had 40 snowboarding games between 1080 mm. and 1080. So um, not not necessarily a f- reflection on the quality, quality, but also the saturation. And mm-hmm. um, also, some. I mean, some of the games had kind of, yeah, perhaps taken things on further. So yeah, this game opens up and you get an, an actual licensed tune playing. Uh, there's a, a relatively limited licensed soundtrack uh, from the likes of Finger Eleven, Cauterized, uh, Boy Sets Fire, Socket Zero and Squid. Um, not my kind of cup of tea, but I would say still an improvement over <laughs> the tone set by the previous game's soundtrack. Leon, I know you uh, you don't care for the Crazy Taxi soundtrack, right? By The Offspring and uh, no, Bad Religion. I uh, no, not I got a similar similar vibe off of this, in the sense that this would never be music I would seek out and play, but it's kind of catchy, like with the Crazy Taxi soundtrack to me, and sort of really, you know, like... Uh, um, inseparable from the from the game uh, yeah, at, I get at it. this point, and I sort of feel the same way. And I think the intro here, talking about the sort of initial presentation, I think is actually a pretty good opening sequence. It's yeah. quite uh, it's quite uh, quite enticing. Well, let's get into the graphics then. So, next gen GameCube, the same era, same generation as PS2 and Xbox, possibly slightly less powerful overall in some ways, but actually, as we saw, of course, plenty of people got some really gorgeous stuff out of the GameCube, especially Nintendo's first and second parties such as this. And I think actually in the same way as 1080 holds up surprisingly well for an N64 game, despite its smeary, you know, spreads textures and slightly low res uh, bitmap skyboxes and everything. Um, I think this game holds up very well. It must be something about the nature of the of the subject matter. Actually, like obviously the SSX reboot from 2012 is going to look, you know, more closer to photorealism. And if you think about the snow and ice levels in things like Uncharted 4 or, or Rise of the Tomb Raider, you're not getting that level of kind of, wow, this looks like actual snow. But I think it holds up pretty well for a, for a this-gen game. I do miss yeah. the vibe of the N64 game. I feel like I feel like the I aesthetic agree. of this game leans more towards an EA big title. It kind of has that... yes glossiness and EA-ness about it. It's hard to put into words, but if you look at it, you can probably confuse it for another snowboarding game, whereas 1080 on the N64 is 1080 on yes. the N64. Completely agree. This feels more like a Western-developed title, mm. which yeah, it kind of is. When I popped this one into my GameCube the first time, I was quite impressed with just how much, the because I had played a lot of uh, SSX3 uh, up until that mm. point, and I was quite impressed right. with how much just uh, the clothes of the characters were moving in the wind, uh, way more than in any N64 game. And then when you fall over in the snow, the snow actually sticks to your uh, to your clo- to your clothing, yeah. 
Whereas mm. in SSX3, if that would happen, the, the snow would never stick. It would just, your character get get up from the snow and just keep going as, as they were before again. Mm. It's, got, mm. it's got loads of little visual effects. I love it. I mean, it, once again, it's it's yeah. got the clothes flapping. Um, but there, there's, a, there's a lot of, you feel like as you're going down the moating, uh, the moating? You feel like as you go down the mountain, um, that the snow is kicking up and kind of sticking to your rider as you go down there. There's a, there's a yeah. lot more kind of, I guess, um, you know, deeper impact of is your progression down that mountain. Then obviously yeah. it's unfair. The, the N64 is the N64, and the GameCube is the GameCube. There's a lot more uh, horsepower underneath there. I, I think yeah. interestingly though, that I mean, there's there's so many games that you know talk about maybe a little bit fatigue of the snowboarding games in between those two points but there had been a ton you know i was i, I loved amp back in the day i thought that's a yeah, absolute here. great game and, and that you know had a tone of its its own you know ssx had been and had been and done a number of games and i'd absolutely yeah. had fallen in love with tricky at this point so um uh-huh. I, I i loved just just the absolute nature of the way you could pull off tricks and have a complete you know, control of that character and you know, no no landing bad trick where well, you could land badly, but you know, the the feeling of pulling off, you know, great stunts and, and hitting the snow at that perfect angle and just feeling, yeah, the real good feedback. And there'd been a number of really good snowball games, you know, mm. coming out between those two points. And actually, mm. you know, I'd never played um, Avalanche up until the last couple of weeks. Uh and I think maybe that that was a good thing because I hadn't actually gone back and played many of these snowball games in between. And there haven't been many in recent no, years. No, coming to it fairly freshly now, I was really quite taken back by the presentation, how good it looked. Um, I was like, wow, right. this is, yeah, this this really plays nicely. And, you know, it's more about, I think, the racing than, than punishing the player of, of uh, maybe less realistic. Let's say I come back to that kind yeah. of the idea of skate versus Tony Hawk, you know, the pure fun versus the, the mastering of, um, you know the board itself and yeah, yeah it certainly leans into the more kind of fun nature which I think most um, snowboarding games had already done at that point but presentation yeah. wise yeah it, it really pops off the screen and actually still looks a, a relatively good game today I think it's it, it has a lot of detail to it mm. and speaking speaking of effects and we'll talk about the avalanches later on but yeah. just that's absolutely insane the way oh, the screen mad. shakes and mm-hmm. uh, everything goes, goes out of control when I started playing it, and after the lukewarm, uh, lukewarm reviews, I was more, much more impressed with it than I thought I would be. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think I probably wouldn't have even bought this, but for the Avalanche concept, because I was, I was, I had Amped as well on the, yeah. on the original Xbox, which was a huge game as well, like tons and tons to do in it. I, I actually would have really loved to play that game before this uh, this recording, mm. just for comparison, because I've never yeah, played, yeah. The, I've never played the Amph games. This this felt really uh, feature light after mm-hmm. the Amped games, yep. and also, yeah, as you say, we'd already played SSX, yeah, the and big that games kind of nailed the feel. Of, of content. Yeah, yeah, tons of stuff, and they'd got the gone some way to replicating the feel of snowboarding that 1080 did, but without the frustration. I'm not saying they were necessarily better games because perhaps the rewards were there in, in 1080 and the atmosphere, but the, the you know, the, the, the next gen tech had allowed, um, yeah, EA and, uh, and the Microsoft studio did amped French studio, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, yeah. um, to, to get a lot out of that. And so 1080 Avalanche, I actually thought was, obviously I was interested because I'd really enjoyed 1080 and partly because I had enjoyed other snowboarding games, but actually it seemed like a bit of a step backwards in terms of the amount that it was offering. So the Avalanche thing was like the real, the the gimmick was the seller in this case, Mm -hmm. I think for me, because I wanted to see 
how you know I think the reviews had said you know okay this this game's a bit uh, you know might be a bit lacking in some areas but you got to see this avalanche thing and it really <laughs> does add something to the the sort of the excitement of the, uh, the game of courses also yeah. have a lot of um kind of obstacles and variation on the actual you know on the slopes there's like at one point there's all these caribous running across the screen and just the general presentation of the courses they they're a bit wacky what well, they're a lot wackier than the N64 game but it kind of gives you that confidence yeah. to go for them because they look a lot more, you know, comedy, a bit, bit you know, a bit more comics. Like, oh, well, look at that stupid, that doesn't make sense in the real world. But also the game yeah. gives you that confidence to go down those routes because it seems like they're designed to be snowboarded on. Playing it in the last week, uh, when you speak about the, the comical uh, bits also, I was quite surprised with how you uh, can uh, hit this terrace where people are having dinner and you smash their tables and they're screaming shock when you smash through their dinner yeah, tables. Loads, you know, yeah, there's loads of little tests that make the game a lot more approachable. And yeah. as I said earlier, you know, this game helped me learn the N64 game better and um, because it has a lot of mm-hmm. kind of, you know, user-friendly uh, UI tricks like the um, the jump button, when you hold down the jump button, the A, it, it fills up a power meter. Yeah. When you land your board, the, the board glows slightly to let you know that you've landed properly. Or obviously, you're not hitting your face on the floor mm-hmm. helps as well, but just the little little bits of feedback <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, of the board glowing to let you know that you've pressed the, the L trigger correctly and the, the ability to recall, yeah. you know, reset your uh, stature when you're about to wobble over helps incredibly. And um, I just think... Yeah, this is an inter- interesting balance uh, when you compare it to the NCC4 game because the, there's that element mm. of forgiveness, but when you actually do flub it and you do fall over, it's much more punish- punishing than the N64 game was because it, mm. you really fall flat and in the uh, N64 game you could quite nimbly hop up again and uh, and regain some speed. But here here you really have to push forward and uh, it takes a while, to, really a while to pick up your speed again. Yeah, I think the difference is that I think the, the DNAs of the two games are actually very close together. Certainly if you start playing other games around uh, that period of time. Uh, the difference is it it just does a, a more you know moderner job of actually conveying what what's going on to the player. Yeah, so you know grinding exactly. is just you know there's a bar there now instead of just visually seeing how it, uh, it's going on the screen. That you know there's a bit of forgiveness there when is you're actual actually grinding. In yeah, the, uh, uh, in sixty four game there was no sticky element there. No, no yeah. but there's yeah there's yeah. I think the game just does a better job and a more modern job of just actually you know telling the player. Where he, where they're going wrong, and here's the visual indication. And and if you yeah. get it entirely wrong, there's a recover button. Now, there's I can see almost feel like Leon going, well, that's yeah, it's not like the original. It's not hardcore enough as original. I, I learned how to do it the old <laughs> way. But actually, you know, coming to this now, I you know I really appreciated the I guess the. It, yeah, it was all yeah. it was all helpful, and 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 I had a lot of fun with this game, and I played it like kind of constantly for two weeks until I finished it. But then I never went back to it. Mm. Like that was that was mm. it. So, and a lot of that extra on screen furniture and stuff, I felt detracted from the atmosphere of the you know the yeah I can like see you're that. talking about the, yeah. the DNA. There's there's different you know there's different ways of sort of interpreting that. It's a very subjective thing. But like this game, I enjoyed it. As I say, played it two weeks, completed it, blah blah blah. Um, but it never had the same magic. For me, yeah. as the original, like it did, did not have the same level of connection. I think that goes back to what you were saying about Sega Rally and the the mastery of the controls and the mastery of the tracks. It feels like these game actually this these courses have a lot of a lot more alternative routes and even very vertical ones mm-hmm. where you can yeah. uh, uh, shred very high on top of the course over these rock formations. But still, it feels like once you've 
gone through them. Even though that's not true, but it feels uh, because there, there there is less of a sense of mastery. Like you've pretty much seen seen them. Yeah, I had exactly the same thing. Once I was uh, done with uh, the game, I didn't particularly feel like going back to it. And I actually sold it off again and uh, and bought it's, it back not the, too long ago. The reasons ago. why I play this <laughs> yeah. game now are kind of the reasons why I didn't like it back in the day. Because it wasn't punishing. It hmm. wasn't yeah. realistic looking. It wasn't... It kind of wasn't the sequel to the N64 game that I was hoping. And at this point, I, yeah. you know, I kind yeah. of branched away from being Nintendo only because I started earning more money and I had an Xbox now. And I was looking for a bit more of a serious tone from my games. You know, uh, it's certainly mm. natural yeah. to experiment with different genres and stuff once you get a new console. And I was just like, no, I think I want Amp. To, I wonder, you know, I prefer Amp at this point. And then Amp 2 came out just before this, I think. And then I, I put this mm-hmm. on and I was just like, Oh man, like this isn't what I wanted from a 1080, you know, two essentially. Yeah, it, it is actually quite Sega Rally esque, isn't it? It's kind of that. Well, this is your set kind of course, and off you go. And yeah, it's a we have the avalanche kind of bit at the end. It's then it just yeah. felt a lot more kind of scripted. You know, the, this is what we're going to give you here and now, rather than the amp games where it's you're on a big mountain, off you go. You know, carve your way down yeah. the side of the, the escape. It, it felt more arcadey to me. I think it's very clear that uh, the the mission goal for this game was to uh, meet the SSX games somewhere halfway, mm-hmm. make it more arca- yeah. arcadey and more accessible, and that in turn made it feel less unique than uh, the original 1080 uh, did. Yeah, I wonder if it would have actually reviewed better if they'd stuck to the principles yeah. of the original and gone even more simulation. Yeah, I think so, and it's that coupled with. The amount of content we would come to expect at this point from a sports style. Yeah, definitely. It pretty much had the same modes as the original. For me, though, it's that's helped in 2018 coming to play this for the first time because there's a very, very set list of things you need to do. There's your, you know, your Grand Prix mode. There's your race mode. You know, these are the things you know, you've got. You, you've got to master. Uh, is it? I don't know. They call it novice, expert, um, extreme at the very end. Yeah, it's just, you know, rather than SSX or whatever those games, there was a lot of content, a lot of stuff to get through. Here it was, well, now just focus. You know, here's, here's your challenge to basically work through these tournaments. And I can imagine that being a put off back then. But actually now I found that quite, uh, you know, mm. nice and refreshing that I just had a list of things I needed to do to get this game completed for the show. And I gotta say, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. For all my, you know, I don't maybe have a nostalgia trip of the original game on the N64. So, you know, I found those elements that you, you're talking about, Leon, absolutely. I can understand when that, if that was a game I had mastered back then, I think I would have the same feelings, but it's, it's something I have clearly bounced off and have come back to now. So those elements are the things that put me off where, I found mm. Avalanche to be, yeah, you know, it wasn't a case of, well, I need to get this done for the show. I get, I found myself coming back to it, repeating courses, getting better times, um, unlocking that extreme um, area at the end and, you know, mm. failing almost instantaneously and going, <laughs> oh my God, like the jump up and difficulty here is, yeah, it's, is harsh, insane. but not yeah. instead of just coming on the show, go, oh yeah, no, I beat that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Actually wanting to beat it. Yeah. Yeah. And the extreme course is actually where you notice that, this the extreme course makes a much higher demand of you uh, as a player, and that that's where it does introduce a sense of mastery, because your uh, CPU opponent in the races is pretty much uh, inf- infallible up until this point, unless you get really lucky, yeah. uh, and they'll stay ahead of uh, of you throughout the whole course, and you can never really catch up with them. Where of course they do rubber band you when they when they are behind you, uh, mm. but. 
it like there's these little bumpy areas, right? Mm-hmm. Normally, you would in the, in the previous courses you would just uh, hit them and go over them, and that's all right. You 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 you'll still win the race. This time, your uh, CPU opponent will overtake you because <laughs> they they will actually make little L trigger landings on those tiny bumps to yeah. to not lose any speed. But here you see, if if you don't do that, you see your character kind of wobble on their uh, snowboard and go whoa, whoa, whoa like that, you know. So mm-hmm. you actually even the tiniest uh, um, tiniest bumps in the in the course, you will need to, to balance them carefully to to get through the extreme courses and uh, and win them. Yeah, and I, I really feel like mm. I I I learned how to play the original 1080 purely out of the fact that you know it was all about getting low on the snowball, taking the corner, coming off that that kind of the that tight angle, opening up, making sure that you know you're you're slowing down enough to get around the corner because that's faster. And it really did, you know, I really felt like I was playing the the proper version of uh, a snowball game. Now I absolutely believe that that is existent in the N64 title. I, I really do, but yeah. I, I don't think I have the patience to master it in 2018. And that sounds mm-hmm. such a sad thing to say, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad I got to play t- Avalanche, even though you know it's probably the lesser, uh, lesser of the two. It's it's less of a um, a pure experience, I think, that Leon probably had as just him in the mountain. I actually agree with uh, with you that I had a lot more. I, I, because I'm when I uh, my my criticisms that I just made towards uh, Avalanche were more based on my experience playing it in 2006 at the end of the GameCube's mm. lifespan, whereas mm. now I was having a lot more fun playing it uh, in uh, in 2018, uh, early 2018, than I was at that uh, at that time. And I also um, had my um, seven year old son with me, and he absolutely started to fall in love with this game. He just uh, <laughs> he wants cool. to keep on playing it over and over again. And mm. I don't think the original would have no, that same effect right, no. on him uh, if I would mm. pass him the controller on on that one. But this one is is friendly, much more friendly and welcoming, and. F- Feels, of course, due to the increased performance and the frame rate, feels a lot more smoother than the uh, yeah, it's good game did. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. I think even those of us, including you know all of us on the show, who have obviously we have a fairly deep and passionate appreciation for previous generation games. I think we'd be we'd be being disingenuous if we said that we wouldn't be more likely to play a new game. Mm. That you know, if, if a game came out on current systems that had all the bells and whistles of a 2018 game and looked like a 2018 game, I I I would be more likely to sit down and master that. Yeah. Um. Although having said that, you know, I I've got SSX the 2012 game and it's barely been played. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've owned it for years. Um. And obviously now that's starting to to date a little, no doubt. But if there was a brand new game, like this is the weird thing for 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 the eight 16 bit generations and beyond up until not that long ago we would have had uh, so it's at the time of recording the winter olympics are about to start we would have had at least one licensed game we'd have had probably some unofficial games come out around the theme i, I guess maybe on mobile there will be oh well, but we're not we're not is, getting any major is the i guess the only major yeah, but that was one game like like however many months but ago it was they over are, a year yeah ago they're, they're doing a winter olympics version of it okay. so yeah that, right. okay, i guess i mean enough. that's the one basically just holding the banner right now for console uh, snowball games yeah. it's you know ubisoft yeah. still believing. that was moder- yeah. only mo- moderately well re- received wasn't it so yeah the, the the options are fewer um and it's good to hear that a seven-year-old kid is is getting a lot out of a uh, a 15 year old 
video game or however, yeah, yeah, 14-year-old video game um, and not worrying about the fact that obviously your lad will have been exposed to more contemporary graphics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just to rewind a little bit, talk about the, um, the sort of the overall aesthetic. So as we said, this this did, did, does go down the um, the licensed uh, soundtrack path. Obviously, the GameCube had, you know, it played from basically what a cut down CDs, um, had more storage space. And so we did have this um, actual soundtrack of uh, curated punky pop kind of radical dude type of music. <laughs> um, again, I'm pretty sure I turned it off fairly quickly because it's not to my taste, although I feel that it fit with the aesthetic mm-hmm. of this yeah. iteration of the game much better. Mm-hmm. There's also still... a music video on the disc. Oh. Yeah, from, uh, from, from, uh, from the band Cauterize, who I'm otherwise yeah. not familiar with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I still, I think I still ended up going with sound effects, partly to get the most out of the Avalanche. It's all very typical of the yeah. time, isn't it? This kind of music... Yeah, I'm, you know, it, yeah. it reminds me mm. of like when I was kind of into WWE at that time, you know, I was a lot younger back then and it was all kind of angry music and men stomping down a ramp and just like, ah, that era of, <laughs> like, that era of my life, I, I look back at it and I just think, what was I doing? And like the, 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 sound, the soundtrack for this game kind of reminds me of, of those feelings of like, why yeah. did you put these tracks in this game? To be fair, I think in the Avalanche sections, the music is actually not as intrusive. I like this sub, is it Sub-Zero stuff? The, su- the Sub-Point the or Sub-Zero? It, there, there are some, yeah. there's some tracks, I think, that are done in-house. That are, again, it's the inc- mm-hmm. incidental, a lot more... Oh, okay. Doc- that's Socket, it, Socket Zero. zero. Uh, ambient. Yeah, it's a lot more relaxed. It's a bit more intimate and a bit more, yeah, mm-hmm. um, ambient. That, that stuff works, again, better for me than rather than what I deem as a limp version of Limp Biscuit, Like I, that, that kind of, that used to me. Did you uh, just say oh. something? <laughs> limp, Limp that Biscuit. That is the damningest yeah. review of music I've Jeez. ever heard. Uh, yeah. Did you all stick with it though? Did you all leave it turned up? Uh, despite me not having any affinity with the sound, certain tracks are kind of catchy. Uh, I, especially that uh, Finger 11 track, uh, Good Times, is, uh, it's, it's kind yeah, of an earworm to me. It's on-screen action where it is a lot more wacky, a lot more extreme and not in the extreme sports way. But you know, the stuff you do in Tenet Avalanche is crazy. Like you are jumping through sheets of ice that are formed in a cave and you are barreling down like insane. Yeah. Um, you, you could never do this in real life kind of stuff. And the the, the music goes along yeah. with that. And, you know, it all does fit together. But sometimes it's just not really for me. Um, the, the, the whole thing of Tenet Avalanche, again, it kind of it's less intimate on the snow. It's a lot less intense as well like there's yeah. a lot less going on in the n64 game and back then that's why i didn't like it but it now it gave me the opportunity to appreciate the n64 game more i didn't feel that they got the the color palette or the lighting quite as um sort of memorable like it, it again it might look technically better and and it and it and yeah it didn't look bad at all but it didn't quite again just didn't quite capture the same on feel some, on some tracks but i think the angel light uh you know with the the, the nighttime uh, village yeah. mountain village yeah, yeah. it looks it's quite nice with the purple really, lights. And, well, uh, I can't really differentiate the courses in my head like I can in the N64 game. And I think that's because they don't have the character. You know, the N64 game is in like it's massively challenging and intense. But like we said, the courses have their own style and vibe. Whereas this, you look at one of them, you just think, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, sure, that, that's a snowboard course. And um, yeah, it's a shame that they kind of didn't make it, you know, uh, as a proper sequel as, as I hoped. But on the flip side, it kind of made me appreciate the series more. It's really weird <laughs> feelings that I'm kind of repeating here, but 
there's a lot to be mm. said for <laughs> it. I kind of wish I had the same feelings with Wave Race Blue Storm as I did with um, Avalanche because Avalanche really did rock it up in mm. my expect, um, you know, my my impressions of the whole mm. thing. This game has uh, pretty much twice as many courses as the original. Maybe, you know, coming back to what we were saying before about eight beautifully designed memorable courses, maybe 16 courses kind of dilutes the impact of each of them if they'd put more memorable features in each one. But um, as I say, I'm coming from a a disadvantage of not having revisited these courses so recently. One thing that uh, has stuck with me about this game is the sound effect of actually smashing through things being uh, very enjoyable, very satisfying. Um, in terms of audio design, actually smashing through you know, panes of ice and, and whatever else had a, had a nice feeling of connection and carnage. But the the audio of the uh, the actual avalanches themselves, I remember being very strong. And the, yeah, I mean, let's talk specifically about the, the, the that gimmick, the kind of the, get the game seller. It's in the title. The avalanche, I think, um, yeah, they really, they, that was really kind oh, of technically it's, it's impressive. so intense. All that yeah. snow coming off the slopes, yeah. And uh, smash, smashing trees and buildings. Oh, it's just mad. You've got the meter at the top that's constantly telling you how far away the avalanche is from, you know, destroying you. Mm. And I just remember looking at it just nonstop <laughs> going, I'm gonna, I've lost it. And it, I had that same heart racing, palm sweaty kind of feeling that the N64 gives me from the off. So I do feel like the difficulty curve in this game is just is spot on. Uh, because at the point of this avalanche level, I was just absolutely cacking my pants, like uh, especially on the on the hard ones. Like <laughs> I remember coming off of it and going straight to the slack channel, yeah. just going, "That is the most intense thing I've played in a long while." Because they really do sell it, and I, I feel mm. like mm. I feel like the screen wobbles a bit too intense and a bit too comedy. Yeah, the clo- the closer you are to the avalanche, the oh. more out of control it goes, mm-hmm. uh, which is I really panic telly or something. Because I was playing on a CRT, and I was like, "Did <laughs> someone put a, like, a magnet near my telly or something?" Because it was like wobbling just ridiculously. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible gimmick. I think I really do feel like it's a, a it's a gimmick in. In amongst this game because the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the game primarily is about racing and here you are at the end of these if you manage to get to the end you've got this avalanche that comes down but I'll tell you what trying to survive a natural disaster but I'll tell you what it doesn't make it any less fun uh, gimmick mm, as mm. It, it may be it's mm. good fun I I um I had a couple of runs where you know you stay pretty far ahead of the avalanche not a problem and you kind of get through and you jump on the helicopter and you go oh that's kind of funny but at, at the same time I uh, on the extreme course um, I probably died twenty plus times on that course trying to right. trying to get yeah. through that avalanche. That is a tricky yeah. because any mistake. Now yeah. the the one way I managed to do it is I was caught. I would say on the very very limit of being taken out by the avalanche. So I had boulders constantly falling around my head. The screen was like the my it almost felt like the, the uh, my PC monitor where I was playing on was about to fall off the desk. There was so much rattle and shake. And I got through it. I just skinned my teeth and jumped on that helicopter. And like Darren, I was I was like, wow, that was such a cool ride. Even though it wiped me out 20 times before and it was a, a yeah, a lots of frustration there. That's pretty cool to get such a buzz from... You know, it still from looks a... really good. And I'm trying to rack my brains around other games that have done... And I'm just thinking within snowboarding, I can't think of... It's funny, I, I keep joking in Slack of a game called, uh, was it Dark Summit? Mm-hmm. Where it was in between these yeah. games, <laughs> where literally yeah. there was like um, nuclear waste down, <laughs> down the uh, slopes and they would drop bombs <laughs> at you and stuff like that. And I thought it would be mm. fun. I, that game must have, must have been published by Acclaim. <laughs> huh? yeah, well, I, think. I, I thought it'd be fun to actually uh, have a go at it. Right. So, you know, I was, yeah. I got the dolphin emulator. Okay, fine. But you know, it, it allowed me to to test that. That is a terrible game. Really, really bad. Like just once again, just 
indicative of that era of you know rad bro you know we don't you know how are we going to make these these games cool and actually nuclear waste the, the trick yeah. of, <laughs> of racing avalanche down the slope is as, as fun now in 2018 I'm, and i'm yeah i can't imagine what it must how cool it would have been actually back when the game released in 2003 it was for cool. us yeah yeah, I like that thing of being, it's like the the Millennium Falcon escaping the Death Star mm. in Return of the Jedi and that it's completely engulfed in fire by the time it emerges. And uh, yeah, there's that there's that situation in, in an avalanche where you are, you, you should be Dead. buried yeah. under, but you're just, you, you, you can only assume that you're just clinging on. Yeah. Let's talk about the trick interface here. So the original games is notoriously stiff and sticky and demanding. Uh, so we were, I think for context, we should say that between, unless I'm, what year was the first Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Was that 97? 99. Or was it, or was it 99? Yeah, because I'm thinking it was 99, which means that it was after. things like, yeah, and I'm not saying that that was the first ever game that had that kind of stuff in it, but it kind of popularized the sort of tricking combos and the grinding being a, a default mechanic and made all that stuff much more accessible um, and more kind of just a case of, um, yeah, just twitch, twitch controls and muscle memory instead of whereas, whereas in the original 1080, it was, it was, yeah, it was so, it was so demanding and finicky. Um, and this game, I think, brought things up to date a bit more. And therefore, I imagine returning to it now, it feels a lot more accessible to do tricks. And obviously, it's a much more integral part of the whole racing experience as well. Yeah, because you build a power meter by doing yeah, tricks, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So especially the 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 rail the rail grinds uh, fill up your uh, your power meter and then you basically uh, can smash uh, and destroy yeah, your opponent. That's one of the that's one that. of the things I really enjoyed about Avalanche is that you had a chance to fight back a little bit, well at all actually. Um, and the the power meter mm. again, it's a reason why I didn't like it back in the day because oh all these meters and all these you know these arcadiness of the game is kind of they've ruined it <laughs> looking at playing it now it's like you know again help me enjoy it more and it's just like actually mm. yeah i really enjoyed glowing like the n64 game wouldn't have other than the gold border and the, the you know the other borders that are unlockable you wouldn't have a character yeah, flying yeah. down like glowing a hue color of purple very few <laughs> special effects at all really in the, in the original game no, yeah. nothing nothing that you wouldn't see in real life until you start unlocking yeah, crystal borders and Mr. But, you Beats. Know, when, when you fill out your meter in this one, you do glow a certain colour and that, that's fine. It's fine. And it just, it just lets you know that you're on fire at the moment and you can just punch someone in the face and that's great. <laughs> I still don't think it's as um, matured as anything that I think the SSX franchise was doing there and even um, Amped. I feel like, you know, it, it, its trick was definitely more about the racing and the uh, the avalanche than being a, a game purely focused on on tricking, which I think the others kind of set their stall out and, and mastered better. But yeah, f- comparatively to its N sixty four brethren, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it feel you can actually pull them off and feel like you're not going to just pull it off and, and die straight away. Um, you know, there's small ramps that I could just come off, or even little just just jumping up off the board and, and you know doing a, a quick stiffy and then landing it and and moving on was actually a, a viable option to actually fill up fill up that power meter rather than just going well this is do or die of this trick so what i want to ask is given that the tricking is better explained to the player and more accessible and easier to do in avalanche than it was in 1080 why did i spend hour upon hour upon hour playing the tricks in 1081 and i was happy to 
never go back to this game. It's, it's the challenge of it. I do. I think that's kind of well, personally, why I believe people prefer simulation football to whereas I prefer you know Super Mario Strikers. Like make, making a yeah, pass in Pez is for me nearly nearly impossible. But there was a point where I really enjoyed it, and then I fell off of it, and I went towards you know Red Car Soccer and Sega Soccer Slam and stuff like that. I've lump mm. avalanche in the in the arcadey side of the sports genre 1080 was a, a new fresh experience to you primarily because there was only a half a dozen games well, a dozen games before it so yeah, maybe your focus yeah. was i'm going to play this game and this is fresh and new where i'd i you yeah. know, even I imagine and then back to amped for me tricks yeah i'd yeah. imagine even for you you probably played another six or seven snowball games up to the point where you got to avalanche and i think certainly a few i think yeah. under that guys like i say i I don't think it's a particularly complex trick system, so I don't think it particularly rewards the player from no, what other games right. have certainly been doing. So, I, it, you know, now it, it, I think when you're comparing the two games against each other, absolutely, it's a it's a more kind of advanced trick system. But I think just where it sat in its place of a lexicon of games that had come before it, I don't think it was particularly matured. So at that time, you yeah. probably already got your feel of you know the SSX games and amps, etc. So actually, going to but that, I also yeah. didn't have yeah, and and I guess by the same token, I I didn't have the same urge to whereas with wave race 64 and 1080 i spent hours upon hours beating my time trial times and i still i still do time trial uh, those games on on virtual console but again this one i've, I've not thought oh, i must rebuy 1080 avalanche there is a copy in mm-hmm. ninja game down down the road as i say but i've not been moved to pick it up um i don't have the same desire to to perfect it um as i as i did with this one did anyone play the multiplayer of Avalanche back in the day? So it allowed up to four players split screen because GameCube as opposed to N64 and 16 player local area network four times GameCube consoles connected. Yeah. Now that yeah. actually sounds really good fun. <laughs> yeah, I did that. No, just joking. <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. I wanted to know. Oh. That's hard. But thinking that, you know, you worked at Nintendo, oh, I suppose it was Wii era, wasn't it? But they might yeah. have still had it all hooked up. I guess this is sort of interesting in itself. I found it interesting. So we we discussed nine snowboarding games between the start of video games and 1998 when 1080 came out. 40 snowboarding games in the four years between Jeez. 1080 snowboarding and 1080 Avalanche. In the 15 years, 14, 15 years since 1080 Avalanche, there have been 17 more snowboarding games. That doesn't include mobile, though, where there have been 22 snowboarding games. So snowboarding kind of lives on, but only on mobile. And I guess a lot of those are sort of, you know, they're snowboarding theme free runners or um, games where you have very limited interface. They're not going to have the sort of necessarily the subtle analog control of a 1080. I speak from a position of ignorance in that I've not played any of those in of the 17 snowboarding games that come out in the last 15 years. I guess I've played two or three Mm -hmm. and none of them extensively. So I guess I'm part of the problem in that regard. But what I wanted to say was I've always had a real fondness for winter sports themed games. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not a radical gnarly dude in real life. I don't do skiing. I've never done it. I can't afford it. Um, Probably would be nervous. I'm in my mid forties now. I'd probably break something. Yeah, Um, but I do like. like, I'm while I'm not a committed fan of the of winter sports. I enjoy the Winter Olympics when it's on. It always feels you know cool. I used to watch Ski Sunday. I I like the atmosphere. I like the watching the 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 skill and and of the discipline that goes into it. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think we should have more winter sports themed video games. Is what I'm saying, including snowboarding. 
But I guess SSX wasn't a massive hit, the reboot, and I guess the Ubisoft one steep, hasn't done yeah. steep hasn't done that Good. spectacularly. I've tried a lot of the, the more modern ones and yeah, I think with the technology it's understandable as well, here's the whole mountain. Now you can you know, carve your way down this mountain mountain. But actually when I think about, you know, my most enjoyable moments with any of these snowboarding games, it's been about here's your specific challenge. It's you know, it's SSX like you need to hit x amount of tricks to, to go that fast and as as that franchise pushed further and further away from um being more focused i became less and less interested and in, you know thinking about amped and all that stuff it's a lot more about the focus and you know going with 1080 every time you you, you brought up the uh the, the kind of sega rally analogy it really does fit it's about you know just these short courses perfecting these short courses a bit of fun in between and yeah, that's it. And it, it, it almost like by today's modern standards, you could see like, well, that's lack of game content. But you know, coming yeah. back to it, it, oddly, this many years down the line, and and feeling quite mm. happy and refreshed by the the pure focus of those games, and, and feeling like no, that that it's it's kind of the direction I think I want from from these uh, series. But I understand from a modern point of view, if you just put out that game now, there'd be that mm, okay, it's like an indie title. Perhaps it's a genre that would benefit from the uh, the mid-tier approach of a very focused mm. £25 release that was very polished but didn't have a ridiculous amount of content and certainly wasn't weighed down by tons of uh, loot crates or DLC or anything like that. It was it was a bit of a throwback in some ways, but really, really pretty and playable. <laughs> Three word reviews then, at uh, Kane and Rince on Twitter. Uh, we only got a few because we put the shout out at midnight UK time last night <laughs> and we're recording at 10am this morning. So here we go. Uh, my Sinclair, trick attack, why? Dorian Rogers says slide, slide, sliding. No more Spiros, improved by Atlas. Paddy Gamer, epic avalanche chases. Yeah, we'll let the improved by Atlas one go because actually Snowball Kids was before this and we don't normally do X game is better than Y game, but there was a Snowball Kids was, 2. Yeah. Two exactly, and there's one on the yeah. DS as well that I've got, which is very odd. This has been widely reported, but I take, uh, took this new story from Screen Rant. This came out after we scheduled and announced this podcast. 9th of January 2018. Is Nintendo bringing back 1080 snowboarding? Nintendo has filed a trademark registration for 1080, which is how they put it on the original game in numbers and then words. Fans of the franchise and of snowboarding games in general will likely be hoping that a brand new 1080 snowboarding game is going to enter development and such a title would certainly jump to many gamers' lists of most anticipated games. That's certainly within the realms of possibility, particularly given the lack of real competition in the market at the moment. Former rivals SSX and Cool Borders have not seen releases in some time, while Ubisoft's Steep hardly set the world alight when it was released at the tail end of 2016. Indeed, with Steep set to see a Nintendo Switch port... It could act as a good trial for Nintendo to see if Switch users are interested in snowboarding games. As well as the potential for a new game, there could also be some other options, uh, other reasons, I suppose, while this trademark's been filed. In particular, it could be that 1080 is gearing up for another virtual console release, although... Of course, Virtual Console hasn't been announced for Switch. The game hit both the Wii and Wii U virtual storefronts, and given the popularity of the game as a whole, it would certainly make sense for Nintendo to continue this trend. Another option regarding why Nintendo renewed the trademark revolves around the much-rumoured Nintendo 64 Classic. If a retro console based on the N64 was to see release, then 1080 Snowboarding would be one of the must-have games for the system. 
For now, though, fans will have to wait and see what Nintendo is planning with the series. Whenever Nintendo do one of these trademark renewals, <clears throat> I just can't get excited about it anymore because you've, I've just been let down yeah. you know, so many times before. You know, even if they don't, if they do make a game and it doesn't hit the standards that everyone's hyped it up to be, it's just best just just just, yeah. just to wait and see. Really, considering your 1080 and 1080 Avalanche experience, uh, would you recommend one, either, both, or neither? in the year 2018, which is when we're recording this show. Mikhail? Yeah, so it's a much heard argument that if a game, if you go back to an older game and it doesn't hold up, it was never a good game to begin with, right? I suppose so. Some, yeah, some, peop- some people say that. Well, for me, 1080 is still quite unrivaled in many ways uh, as a snowboarding game experience the original 1080 snowboarding uh, well maybe unrivaled is not the, the right way to say it, but it's quite quite unique no no other game to my knowledge and if you tell me that Amph, which I haven't played does it then I'll uh, gladly <laughs> uh, you know I'll gla- gladly uh, <laughs> stand corrected uh, but yeah to my knowledge uh, no other snowboard game has quite done it like 1080 yet at the same time I wouldn't necessarily wholeheartedly recommend people to go back to it and play it because it has aged. Uh, It's very unfriendly. Uh, You might not get a whole lot of fun out of it unless you invest in it. And I'm not sure if you would feel compelled to do so in 2018. So I would say, has it held up by itself? Not really in that aspect. But I I still think despite that, it's a great game. So... um, yeah, that's that's my answer to that. Um, as far as uh, 1080 Avalanche is, it uh, goes, it doesn't quite hit the the same notes as uh, 1080 Snowboarding on the N64 uh, did, uh, which we've you know, basically w- we went through all the reasons for that. But it's a very friendly and welcoming game. It has the Avalanche gimmick, which is uh, something quite unique uh, to experience, and it's not one of those GameCube games that has skyrocketed up in price so if you like your no. snowboarding and your wintry sports game and uh, you can pick it up somewhere for uh, for cheap then uh, i would definitely recommend you to do so and uh, play it because you you're, you're most likely going to have a good time with it tony how about you um i don't quite have the nostalgia of the original 1080 and the n64 as, as other people on the team here um so i think its frustrations probably boil a lot higher on the surface than than um, they would have done if I kind of mastered that those frustrations back when the game originally released. Um, but that's not to say there's not a fun game to be had there. It's just a challenging game. It's a game you need to put the hours in to master its mechanics. And that in itself is rewarding. Um, I think, you know, whether that's for you, uh, short of having to, you know, to, to look at a game like that for a podcast is, you know, is, is down to the individual player. For me, I'm I'm glad I I stuck with it and at least managed to work my way through the uh, the races and you know felt like I wasn't just falling fall on my flat on my face over and over again. But I, I don't you know to me it doesn't have that. Oh my god, what a great game! It's it's just like yes, now I can see what the appeal was with this game. Certainly in the in the landscape where you know snowboarding games really weren't ten to a penny. I think Avalanche to me has proven uh, one of those things which I'm we we always talk about on Canaan Roots was actually digging back into a back catalogue of games that have multiple games released, you know, thousands of games throughout the years and playing something, you know, was it 2003? Should, on the face of it, be like, well, there's so many snowboarding games that have happened since, you know, between then and now. 
But actually, I've had a whale of a time playing through Avalanche. Um, I've really enjoyed its you know, more simplified mechanics to to the original. Yet I can still see the DNA in there, even if it's a, a more yeah. arcadey experience. And it's been a really mm-hmm. good lesson, exactly that you know, just because it's a, a game of the past, yeah, it's not fun to play now. It really has been fun to play, and you know, playing it to the wee hours in the morning, trying to complete complete a course of was as fun as experience I've had this year with any other game. Um, Wow. So I think, uh, yeah, for me, I've really enjoyed my my time with Avalanche. Although I can, you know, from subjectively, from a critical point of view, I can, you know, yeah, it, there's a lack of ter- com- yeah, a lack of content. Yes, there's areas which you know modern day gaming would you know, surpass it. But I think the the fundamental core enjoyment of that game has has really surprised me. And uh, yeah, I've had a really good time revisiting this this franchise and playing a new game in the franchise for the first time. Um, so yeah, thumbs up for me. I think it, it's a a good series that uh, maybe is you know underappreciated. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, so I do have a lot of. Uh, nostalgia mm. for the original 1080 snowboarding it's been not quite 20 years since i first played it but it's certainly been 20 years since i wanted to play it and i bought it when it came out played it a lot over a long period of time bought it twice since so obviously i do like it and i like going back to it um it does retain a certain special something that uh, certain games of the era can do for me and uh, and for others as well whether I would recommend people buy it now. Well, it's only £8.99 on Wii U Virtual Console. You get the best version that's ever been released in Europe as well because it actually runs at the right speed and it's uh, as responsive as the NTSC versions. So it's not much of a gamble, but that said, I do think the fact that you'll spend a lot of time just landing on your backside in the snow <laughs> will probably be enough to put off a lot of people. But I think it is a good example if you're interested in seeing how an N64 game can actually hold mm-hmm. up you know, visually to some extent. Uh, you know, if you if you give it a little, if you cut it a little slack, I think it's still uh, a, a, still a good time. Avalanche, I have far less nostalgia for to the extent that yeah, I sold my copy a long time ago, and I've never thought, I've never regretted it or anything. But I did play it in full at the time. I thought it was a game that you know did critically, it didn't do amazingly well. But I think those of us who did get on it you know got quite a bit out of it i think it was eclipsed by its rivals at the time to an extent uh, in in various ways but that avalanche thing was a was a very cool gimmick and it sounds like remains so so i'm i'm sort of surprised and and pleased by that um obviously it's a game that you can only play either via emulation or you can play it on original gamecube hardware or wii hardware so and as mikhil said it's not an expensive game to get hold of so if you're yearning a snowboarding game it sounds like you could do a lot worse let's conclude with darren gargett i'm willing to accept that maybe i was wrong about some of Nintendo's output on the GameCube because I really liked 1080 Avalanche and for reasons that go beyond the surface level of its graphics and its arcadiness you know the the actual snowboarding itself was fun and it's not as as I said intimate as the N64 game it's it's just different and you know it's it's just it's a lot more accessible and fun and that's kind of what I took away from the Avalanche game overall is that it's just it's just a good fun time and uh, maybe I should you know let my guard down about how precious I am over the N64 game which is weird because that game just totally beat me around the head for 15 20 years you know <laughs> uh, maybe there's some Stockholm Syndrome going on there or something I'm yeah. not too sure but I recommend these games for polar opposite opinions you know one's mm. over here Avalanche it's your friend and then you've got the N64 game which isn't your friend but it, it you know there's something 
something to it. There's a, there's a challenge there to work at. Maybe play them in reverse order because it's kind of the training wheels leading hmm. into the um, you know, the the Olympics. And <laughs> it remains for me, Leon, to thank Darren, McKeel, and Tony, as well as our correspondents, editor Ryan, and all of you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, of course you have. Please subscribe, rate, review from wherever you get your podcasts. And best of all, you can donate a dollar a month, 75p, patreon.com slash rinse, and you'll get about 12 hours worth of entertainment every month for that dollar. Seems fair, doesn't it? And you get every Kane and Rinse podcast one week earlier, as well as now an exclusive monthly minicast with news from behind the scenes, the world of Kane and Rinse. Next time, in issue 306, Leon will be joined by Firion, Maria and Guy for our Final Fantasy 2 podcast. (laughs) 